Welcome to Now Playing's Star Wars Retrospective Series. This is not going to go the way you think. Hosted by Arnie. So good to have you back. Stuart. Something truly special. And Jacob. When I found you, I saw war. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. That's got a kick. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Listener discretion is advised. BB-8, punch it! Today, we're discussing Star Wars The Last Jedi. Starring Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis. Directed by Ryan Johnson. This is the now playing co-host whose head is never in his cockpit, Arnie. And Stuart? And this is Jacob from Nowhere. Nobody's from Nowhere, Jacob. So, Star Wars The Last Jedi. How excited were you guys for this new Episode Eight? Well, I think I'm, of the three of us, by far the least excited about Star Wars, period. I mean, I just to remind everyone, I like it. I don't dislike it, but I don't love it. And really, the first two are the ones that I think about and go back to, and the rest of them I don't think about too much. And that includes Force Awakens. I liked the movie. I had a good time watching the movie. I only saw it once in theaters and did not see it again until two days ago, because this new one was happening and it would have been another two years or however many years until we got a sequel before I would have watched it. And I'll say going into The Last Jedi, I hadn't watched The Force Awakens since the theater. I saw it in theater three times and that was only a couple years ago, but I did re-watch The Force Awakens before I saw The Last Jedi just to refresh myself. And you know what? My opinion pretty much stands. That's a fun party reunion. Hey guys, you know, is there to convince a Star Wars was in good hands. And going into The Last Jedi, while that was a big party, The Force Awakens, where everyone got an applause, this time it looked more somber. This was going to be the Empire Strikes Back remake where Luke was devastated by his failures and I thought we were going to see a darker Star Wars film. I hadn't rewatched The Force Awakens since I saw it in theaters also three times. And honestly, now playing gave me really bad memories of that movie because I liked the movie, but according to our listeners, I didn't like the movie enough, which was reason to be strung up by my toenails. Well, I wouldn't ever string up anybody for their opinion, but a small percentage of our listeners might. Yeah, I mean, some people are unkind when they hear an opinion they don't agree with. I'm going to probably find out about that later, but I've maybe a few times done that myself. But Arnie, it sounded like you were really struggling with the movie. If it was fun to me and Jacob, you didn't sound like someone that had fun. You sounded like someone that had problems. It had problems, and I think because you two had so much fun, my statements in that show became framed around But guys, what about this without a lot of saying good things for myself? But I just hadn't gone back, and my feelings towards it had kind of hardened. And I wondered if going back, if I'd recommend it. Rewatching it, I stand by that review 100%. 
I think, you know, it's probably my fourth or fifth favorite Star Wars film, which out of 12, if you count the Ewoks in the Holiday Special, mm, yeah. it's pretty high up there. Yeah, I don't think we're all that far off. I mean, for me, Star Wars Empire were better, but top three, so you're saying four or five, that's not far off. Yeah, so I went into this, though, without a whole lot of excitement and pretty low expectations. I didn't know what to expect. I just knew Episode 7 didn't give me what I wanted. It was too much callback, and re-watching it, it was also really kind of dull after the second half. It really... I never thought I'd say this about a Star Wars movie other than Phantom Menace, but it got boring at times. Go rewatch Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I rewatched it and found that it was less interesting the second time. Sometimes you see movies, you see new details, you feel that it deepens your reading. I actually felt like, eh, the first time is the most fun because you don't know what's going to happen. And once you do, it's essentially a chase movie. And yeah, my comparative, Jacob, was it was like a Vegas review where the old people come out, they had really good backup dancers, the new kids <laughs> helped the old fogies. Yeah, the lighting was done really well. <laughs> yeah, you know, they get through the nostalgia act. They remind you why you love this series. I did do what I've done on other podcasts. I wrote down my recollections of The Force Awakens to see how much from my hazy memory two years ago I remember. And here's episode seven, as told by Stuart, two years later. Title card reads, Luke is missing, won't be seen until the last frame of the movie. It sounds like you said Lucas missing. And yes, that was a problem. Yeah, that's true. That too. We move to a planet where BB-8 and Oscar Isaacs in 70s hair fight an old man with a lightsaber. Christopher Lee? I have in parentheses. So I got that one wrong. It was Max von Sydow. And he was a good guy. Yeah, he had a map. And then they rendezvous with a renegade stormtrooper, John Boyega, who couldn't hack it under Lady Phasma. So I got her name wrong. <laughs> At some point, BB-8 goes rolling off into the sand, so I guess this is Tatooine, finds one of those triangle ships, and then I save myself, in parentheses I write Imperial Destroyer, where Kylo Ray... Yeah. <laughs> oh, couldn't get the name right. <laughs> ...is playing with action figures from the first Star Wars movie, which ended up being like three seconds of footage. I don't know why I remembered so distinctly that she had these cloth action figures of Luke and all. She goes to market and meets John Boyega, and they steal the Millennium Falcon and eventually are boarded by Han and an ageless Chewbacca. They are then boarded by evil droids or something, and it gives everyone a reason to pick up blasters and run down hallways. <laughs> Not quite. There were tentacles, but I don't think I was that wrong. I don't know how they get to a space bar where Lapita from 12 Years a Slave plays a mocap turtle woman who sends them to the basement to get a lightsaber. That's actually very accurate. I still don't know how they do it and why she does it. Meanwhile, Kylo Ren, Adam Driver, Ray's brother, uh, is bowing before Snoke, a giant beastie who literally and figuratively doesn't fit into this universe. And he has built a new Death Star that's disguised as an ice planet. The rebels land on this planet, and Han is reunited with his ex-wife, General Leia. And she tells him to go talk to their son, Kylo Ren. But when Han does, he's lightsabered on a bridge. Lots of shooting. I presume the rebels blow up the Death Star. I think Rey gets something from Lapita Turtle that sends her to Luke Island, and we see a bearded Bark Hamill promise to train her. Not quite, but you know what? I think that's actually 80% correct. Yeah, much better than some of your other recollections <laughs> from when you were a kid. Yeah. 
But this was the one that had to be the story. I mean, that's the way that I left it. Whatever complaints you could say about Force Awakens not being creative enough, not stepping away from the blueprint, really, of that first Star Wars movie, I thought it would be this movie's job to tell that new story and take us on a new direction. Oh, yeah. Rewatching The Force Awakens, I gave it a buy, not catching us up on the politics. I think we talked about that. What is the First Order? What is the Resistance? Who is Snoke? That's all going to be answered this time, though, right? That's the purpose of this second film, to catch us up. We got the Vegas review, and now it's time to tell us what's actually going on and give us those details. And I think one of the things that frustrated me with The Force Awakens was its director, J.J. Abrams, and his propensity towards what he likes to call his mystery box, and how everything's a mystery box. And he's actually said... He doesn't care what's inside that box. What's in that box doesn't matter. What matters is that you hook the audience with the mystery. And having watched all seasons of Lost, sometimes I know it's kind of like a shitty Christmas morning. Because every present when you're a kid is a mystery box. And then you open up your mystery box and your parents bought you underwear. So (laughs) that's my Lost analogy. So I was curious though, Ryan Johnson coming in to direct, he was the new hope for me for this new series. Because don't forget, we had Rogue One in between. I enjoyed it more than The Force Awakens. But overall, I felt that character motivations were on the cutting room floor and the film was overall unnecessary. It didn't inform anything about the series to me. But Ryan Johnson, we have one of his movies in our book, Brick, an underrated movie that Stuart championed. Yeah, I'm champion Ryan Johnson. I mean, honestly, I came into this movie knowing almost nothing about plot or details. I think I only saw the trailer four times, tops, within all my screenings of movies and what have you, and one TV commercial, and I got some bananas that had a BB-8 sticker on it. But (laughs) other than that... I did not know anything about this movie and was actually kind of surprised this week that I'm like, oh, it's here. I'm going into this blank. But I walked into that theater confident that it was going to be the best Star Wars of all time because it has the best director, in my opinion, at the helm. Ryan Johnson has made three films that I've liked a lot. I'll say this with Ryan Johnson. My opinion of Brick is in the book, whatever that is. And then also Looper. That's the other one I've seen of his. And I know people went crazy for that movie. I thought it was good. I didn't get what all the hype was. It seemed like an Akira ripoff by the end of it. But I saw this as, oh, we have a filmmaker doing this. Someone that cares about storytelling and and movies. And so maybe I haven't been real hot on his films, but that's a good thing. I saw Looper. I also liked it, but didn't see what all the hype was about. I thought it was good, but I view this as Disney doing what they're doing with Marvel. Get them while they're young and cheap. He's made a reputation for himself. Three films in the can, but that hardly makes him a proven seasoned director. It's He can make a film. He can bring it in. They see what he does, and let's give him a chance at Star Wars the same way that they bring people into the Marvel films. He's not a fanboy. When I look at J.J. Abrams and I see other films that he's made, I'm like, Joyride. Well, that's just Spielberg fanboy remaking Duel. Ryan Johnson has made films that harken back to the past. Brick is a film noir, but he pulls it into a contemporary high school. Brothers Bloom, that 
equally could have ended up in the book. It was a coin toss, but it's a caper film. It's set in the past, and Adrian Brody, Mark Ruffalo are con men romancing the same woman. It's Rachel Weisz. Wonderful throwback to what feels like an old-fashioned rom-com with a contemporary spirit and a lot of fun. This is a guy that could honor the past and what Lucas did in founding this series while still finding a new way to take those tropes and make it his own. That is what's exciting. Is we don't want to see a copycat. We don't want to read fan fiction. We want to see a real filmmaker take what we love and then turn it into something new. That said, he is a fan. Sure, yeah. I was at Star Wars Celebration, we ran the fan social area, and in fact, if you went to the fan event screening of this like I did, I am blurry in the background as Ryan Johnson walks out on stage. There were a bunch of us photographers in the front middle of the aisle kneeling down taking a million photographs, but he talked about his love of Star Wars and how it was a dream to make this film, and when he was done, somebody gave him a vintage boxed AT-AT, which was the toy he always wanted as a kid and never got to have. I think he got to play with some bigger ones in this movie than the toy that he was given, but he does like and respect Star Wars, I think. And I was very optimistic for him. I did give a panel at Celebration. We did a live podcast there, and a lot of people asked, what were our opinions of the first trailer that was revealed there? And I said, Ryan Johnson is the reason why I look forward to this movie. I did go to the fan event like I did for Thor, which means I get to see this movie one hour earlier, on IMAX screen, $25 ticket. But you got like a plastic coin, right? We got some trading cards that are randomly packaged. And if I go to mydisneyrewards.com and sign up, I can get the full set of these trading cards. They gave us a lanyard, but I think my AMC didn't have anything for the end of it. I'm guessing others did. There's no card. It's just a lanyard to put around your neck. It was literally a lanyard. And the guy said, put your ticket stub on this. <laughs> <laughs> I look cool. <laughs> the lanyard is what got us the free popcorn that we got for our $25. No drink, though, so they know they're making their money back. Because Here, have salty snack with no beverage. <laughs> wow, if you treat fans like this, what are your enemies like? And then we got five minutes of bonus footage, which was Ryan Johnson coming out saying, you guys are the mega fans, you love movies, that's why you're here. And then we get about a four-minute interview with John Williams. It's really weird how both Thor and this one are focusing on the composers of the score for this fan event. Whoever's cheap to get for an exclusive, yeah. <laughs> well, it's obviously they did some interviewing with Williams as he was conducting the score. He talked about how he doesn't like to read the scripts. He wants to see the movies without music, see where he has emotions, and then write the music to it. He can't think of any composer who's done eight episodes of a film series before, and he hopes to continue with it. And there was some footage of him and young George Lucas scoring the very first film, or maybe Empire. It was literally five minutes and 45 seconds of bonus footage, but... Hey, this is a long movie. The longest Star Wars movie. Yes. So getting in there an hour earlier on a work night was not a bad thing. It was worth the money. Plus, a lot of these scenes with Planet Octu were filmed in IMAX. So I got to see the full frame experience, a lot more landscape and things. And then I went back the next day and saw this in 
3D, since there was a 3D post-conversion. This was in 3D? It was hard to find a 3D showing. There were literally four showings in the day that I could go and see 3D. It was 2D everywhere. Ever since IMAX is like, you know, we're pulling out of the 3D business. IMAX is now a 2D company. It's really hard to find 3D showings. But yeah, this is a 3D film. Usually when these are 3D films, I go, okay, there's your 3D shot. There's nothing watching this that stood out to me as, oh, that would be cool in 3D. Maybe the space battles or something. I'll say right now, the 3D was decent. The space battles look pretty good in it. When Luke goes fishing with that giant spear, anytime there was distance. Oh yeah, when he pole vaults, that would have been cool looking, I guess. The pole vault looked good, and the person trying to kick the remote down to them that we're going to talk about later, that really emphasized the distance. There was none of that in-your-face type stuff, and honestly, by the middle of the movie, since it's a post-conversion job, sometimes I forgot it was 3D, but the battles looked cool. I wasn't able to make it opening night, but I did go to the very first show, 2D, Friday morning. And it was pretty crowded. An IMAX was going at the same time. A 3D was going at the same time. There was room to move. I could set my coat and the chair next to me. It wasn't every seat taken, but it was fans in t-shirts who were there to enjoy the movie. I think, again, in many cases, these looked like people that were seeing it for a second time. Yeah, I was in a packed theater. There, I saw one cosplayer, a Kylo Ren cosplayer. I don't know if he took his shirt off later, because of a scene in this film. I hope not, but yeah, excited crowd. <laughs> when I went to the fan event, I bought my tickets the day they went on sale, had prime reserved seats, and it wasn't sold out, but the last people to buy tickets were sitting in those front three rows and at an IMAX screen, that's just terrible. Nobody really wants that. I consider if everything's taken up but the front three rows, that's still sold out. Just no one wants those seats. When I went the next day, though, I went to an evening showing on Friday night. It was really hard because I went with Marjorie and we're like trying not to spoil anything about the movie for the people around us because they were obviously going for the first time. It wasn't sold out. We were able to, yeah, put our coats on either side of us and things, but it was two-thirds full, just not every seat crammed full. This is expected to make $200 million this weekend. That's still amazing numbers. What I also found interesting about this was Ryan Johnson came into this, and there were so many stories when Disney announced they were going to do the Star Wars films. At one point, it was said J.J. was going to take the whole trilogy and run with it. And then it was said that J.J. was going to executive produce the others and have input into the story, but only direct the first. So he'd be like the new Lucas. And then J.J. did the first one and stepped back. And it was said J.J. had ideas for where it would go. Well, he did, but he didn't share any of them with Ryan Johnson. So basically, J.J. built this mystery box and said to Ryan, you figure out what's in it. Wow. That could be interesting to get a different perspective, see things at a different angle. Here's my question. To me, it seems like Disney gave a whole lot of control to Ryan Johnson, and we know they've been firing Star Wars directors left and right and replacing them. I am surprised where this movie is going to go and the tone at times of this movie. If other people got fired for their stuff, did they not see this movie? Did they just let Ryan do what he want? What I understand, and this is hearsay, take it as such, this is rumor, I'm right now giving you the TMZ version. I want to just put this disclaimer <laughs> out there. All right, Harvey. Apparently, you don't bleep with Kathleen Kennedy. If you are good with Kathleen Kennedy and you take her suggestions and you two get along, that's great. But Kathleen Kennedy told the directors of Han Solo, no, you go do this. And they said, no, we won't go do that. 
And so they were fired. And Kathleen Kennedy and Colin Trevorrow had a bit of a row themselves with personality conflicts. And from what I hear, Colin Trevorrow is difficult to work with. And Kathleen Kennedy was like, no, you're not going to do this to me. You're out. You don't bleep with Kathleen Kennedy. Not to mention Colin Trevorrow made one of the worst films of 2017, (laughs) Book of Henry. So Ryan Johnson, he was told that he could develop his own story. He was brought along as a producer working alongside Kathleen Kennedy. Everything has to be vetted by the entire story group that's going to figure out how all the comics and the novels and the movies are all going to interplay together and what the stories they want to tell are. But yeah, I think that he had ideas that he brought to this. I mean, they don't just pick and it's like a lottery winner. They interview directors and directors give their ideas about what they want to see in a movie. And I think what Ryan Johnson said excited Kathleen Kennedy. And that's why we got the movie. Yeah, I would say that if you feel like there are controversial choices here, these are things that Disney feels they want to follow on, not just Ryan. Okay, there's some weird alien porn we'll talk about that I'm shocked isn't a Disney film, but reportedly Ryan's going to do a new trilogy after this reboot trilogy or new trilogy. He's going to do the next one. So they must like his ideas. That is certainly a vote of confidence for Johnson that gave me good feelings coming into this. If they like what he did here so much that he's doing the next trilogy, that's great. That said... I'd really wished they'd kept him on for nine instead of bringing back JJ, (laughs) but we'll talk about that in two years, I guess. Yeah, well, we'll see if I like that idea by the end of this film. So how about a plot? Star Wars The Last Jedi picks up seconds after the last film ended. The Resistance is almost destroyed, and the leader of the First Order, Supreme Leader Snoke, played by Andy Serkis, has had his General Hux, played by Dom Hall Gleason, go to the last Resistance base, where General Leia, played by Carrie Fisher, is trying to evacuate the last of the Resistance. And then the movie really tells two stories that never really intersect all that much. On the one hand, we follow the Resistance trying to escape the First Order. Hux has new tech that can track the fleet through hyperspace, and the Resistance leaders are all sucked into space by a TIE fighter attack, though a nearly frozen Leia has seen Guardians of the Galaxy, so she uses the Force to return to the ship. (laughs) She ain't no Yondu. (laughs) I was thinking about Gamora, but yeah, there's a Mary Poppins vibe here. Yeah, and Yondu frozen space, and I actually almost cried over that. (laughs) When she returns to the ship, she falls into a coma. The Resistance fleet is outgunned, they're low on fuel, and they can't escape. Thus begins the slowest chase in film history. (laughs) As the fleet stays just outside of the range of the First Order's guns, and the First Order literally waits for the Resistance to run out of gas. Mind blown that this is the plot. And I've seen the film now. I wouldn't believe you if I hadn't seen the film, but this is the plot, people. (laughs) Yep. You know, if I was running from, like, OJ, they didn't wait for him to run out of gas. (laughs) Yeah, the whole OJ TV series was just the Bronco chase. (laughs) And the Resistance is now led by Vice Admiral Holdo, played by Laura Dern, but lead pilot Poe Dameron, played by Oscar Isaac, doesn't trust her. John Boyega's former stormtrooper Finn meets Tex Rose, played by Kelly Marie Tran, and they have some harebrained scheme to take down the First Order's tracking system by breaking onto the Star Destroyer with the help of untrustworthy codecracker DJ, whose name is never said in the film, but I've seen his action figure, so he's DJ, (laughs) played by Benicio Del Toro. (laughs) But it doesn't work, and they're all captured by Captain Phasma, played by Gwendolyn Christie. 
The second plot follows Daisy Ridley's character of Rey and her meeting of Jedi legend Luke Skywalker, played by Mark Hamill. After much prodding, Luke reluctantly agrees to train the girl and reveals he was part of the reason why Ben Solo turned into Kylo Ren. But Rey is also having telepathic conversations with Ren and believes that he, like Vader, can be turned to the light side. So she leaves Luke to board the Star Destroyer and face Ren and his master Snoke. She was half right. Kylo Ren does kill Snoke, but only to take his place as Supreme Leader of the First Order. The two stories collide, literally, when Vice Admiral Holdo flies her ship into the Star Destroyer, cutting it in half. This allows Finn and Rose to escape, and separately, so does Rey. The Resistance ends up at an old rebel base facing down with the First Order, but suddenly Luke Skywalker comes to the rescue to take the battle on himself, including a lightsaber fight with Kylo Ren. But it's all a stalling tactic so the Resistance can escape out the back way, Luke wasn't even there, it was all a force projection, but the exertion of this trick cost Luke his life. I... okay. <laughs> I... questions galore! <laughs> we all have them, Stuart. I don't know if we have answers. We're the fans! Okay. Using the Falcon, Ray and Chewie rescue the dozen or so surviving Resistance members, though all seems lost. But Leia promises that they are the spark that will light the fires of rebellion as a kid grabs a broom and credits roll. With the force. Yeah, we get the origin story of Harry Potter. <laughs> I was definitely feeling when they were running around on those giant wolf creature things. I'm like, this feels like a Harry Potter movie. I will say this right off the bat. This is a Star Wars movie that is going to challenge the feel that Star Wars has given you in the past. It is going to have new dimensions. Maybe that's Ryan or Disney, whatever. But I definitely felt watching this one, new things I hadn't felt before in any previous episode. So this movie starts off on a sour note for me. Literally. Jacob, I'm going to look to you specifically. When you hear the first notes of the John Williams score and the Star Wars logo appears, did it sound off to you? A lot in this beginning was off to me, but yes, right from the start, I don't know, it, it missed a beat or something. I ended up having to pull into an audio editor. I got the score for the new one. It sounded off in the score. I then pulled in the track from A New Hope. It always starts with a cymbal crash. When the horns blow and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. They removed all percussion from the sound. I realized that he was working with an orchestra, but it actually gave it a MIDI sound at first. It reminded me of playing the X-Wing video game of like, what's wrong with this score? And it bugged me till the next day when I was able to get to an audio editor, but literally starting on a sour note. But with this opening crawl, I feel like, okay, this is a Star Wars movie, but I'm confused. <laughs> Force Awakens, re-blew up the Starkiller planet. The Resistance, they did a great job. The First Order has lost their main weapon and now it's like, no, the First Order is totally cool. They're crushing it. And the Resistance, there's a handful of them. I thought it was like the Rebellion where there's a ton of them, but now it's enough to fit on a ship, I guess? Okay, we almost didn't have this review today because I'm reading this scroll. And if you think about A New Hope, Rebellion did great, right? They blew up the Empire's biggest weapon, just like the Resistance, as you said, Jacob, blew up Starkiller Base. But now it's saying Supreme Leader Snoke deploys merciless legions? I'm like, probe droids, maybe? <laughs> Only General Leia stands against fighting the rising tyranny, but the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds towards the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. I'm having two feelings. First, oh, so that's what the first movie was about. Thank you for explaining to me why I care about the first movie and those planets that we never see in the Holden system blowing up. 
That was the core of the resistance. So all that was left is what was on Leia's base. But I turned to Marjorie after this crawl and I said, if the resistance is on an ice planet, I'm getting up and walking out. <laughs> no, it, it literally feels like it's going to be a remake of The Empire Strikes Back with, yeah, these ships going down to an ice planet. But we only spend about five seconds there. Yeah, but I had seen the trailers with the AT-ATs on what looked like yes. snow. <laughs> and so I'm like, if this movie starts with an AT-AT walker and the escaping rebels, I'm literally going to get up and walk out. <laughs> Okay, so you guys can't help me with my head spinning at this point. Stuart, I'm never going to be able to help you. Just spoiler for this movie, I will never get a grasp of what's going on. I think I got it, so ask your questions. All right, well, yes. In episode four, I got a sense that the dark side already had a big presence in the universe. But in episode seven, I got a sense it was a new up-and-comers. It was like, oh, we're the ones that are rebuilding. The First Order are the remnants of what had been decimated in episode six. So to see that, yes, you can destroy them and their big Death Star, and they're still winning three weeks away from conquering everything... I don't get it. It's definitely Ryan Johnson doing a course correction from the last time. It's bringing us back, really, to the feel of Empire Strikes Back when the Rebels really were hopelessly outnumbered. And it does give weight, like I said, to the destruction of that planet. The fact that they took out the heart of the New Republic and destroyed its entire thing. Imagine if they, like, nuked New York City and Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles all at once. What kind of state the U.S. would be in? And then if somebody got a chance to come in and start giving order. I can't imagine that. And if that were to happen, the world would turn on whoever did that. You would not join Snoke and say, yeah, there's good people on both sides. <laughs> you just wouldn't do it. Yeah, no, here's my problem is, for The Force Awakens, that was about a reunion. That was about, look, these aren't the prequels. That was its mission. This mission is to actually give me a Star Wars story. Who is Snoke? What is the First Order? Are these just generals from the Empire that said, no, we're going to hold on to control and keep ruling the galaxy? I don't get any of those answers, and I feel like I need to understand that for this film. I have a feeling that there will be comments Comics and novels. No, I need it in the movie, Artie. It <laughs> needs to be in the movie. Okay, so they're just going to slavishly follow the setup of four into five here with seven into eight. They're telling us in so many ways, I think as a setup for surprise, that yes, we're recreating Empire Strikes Back, but planning to do big twists at some point that will surprise you because you think you're getting Empire Strikes Back. Kind of like Star Trek Into Darkness. Exactly. But the problems I had with The Force Awakens, I feel like Ryan Johnson had many of the same problems. I feel like Ryan Johnson comes in here and does a hard course correction and takes some of those mystery boxes that were under the tree and instead of opening them, throws them into the fireplace and says, you don't want to know what's in them anyway. Yeah, Luke's going to toss it over his shoulder. There goes that mystery box. But with this opening scene, so we get Poe Dameron. He's in his X-Wing. He's facing off against... What is this, a dreadnought they're calling this Star Destroyer? The Triangle Ships. There's lots of Triangle Ships, though. <laughs> that is a badass ship. I love that ship. I haven't felt that awed by a starship since A New Hope. The way they give us that low angle, and it's so wide instead of long, and it's bristling with guns. That ship looked cool. I want a toy. <laughs> but what is Poe doing? Again, the humor here. The guys from the Lego film got fired from Solo because it was too funny, and here he got Poe doing 
hold jokes in the Star Wars universe? Can you put someone on hold? Yeah, this is what I was talking about when I said that we're going to get things we don't get in Star Wars before. Cheekiness is not something I ever think of. I mean, I think of Star Wars being pretty straight-laced, straightforward. It has humor. It has Han Solo. Yeah, it's a dry sense of humor, though. It's not this... It's not sarcasm. Yes. Yeah, you, you never see this kind of sarcasm in a Star Wars film. And it feels very whiplash-inducing that we're seeing the new Luke Skywalker is how I think of Poe doing this to taunt the nefarious evil Brit. I think what they're doing is trying to go back to a line people liked in the last movie when Poe is facing off with Kylo Ren. Who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. People enjoyed that little bit of humor, so they're kind of playing it up here. A little bit. Not like three minutes of you're on hold jokes and I can't hear you. I'll admit it, I laughed, but it's not what I think of with Star Wars. I agree. If you listen to my reviews of the prequels, I said what George Lucas lost there was a sense of humor. There were jokes in the first one. There were little snide lines and jokes that I didn't even realize were jokes as a kid that I grow up and I'm like, oh, that's actually funny. Here, the stuff is quite obvious and there are some moments like this that I don't expect from a Star Wars movie, but... I'd expect it in a Marvel movie. But they're different tones. Now, who knows? Disney can make it all the same universe. Maybe that's what they're prepping us for here. Have you ever seen that Patton Oswalt monologue from Parks and Rec? But Marvel is a different tone than Star Wars. And yeah, when we get Solo, when you get Rogue One, when we get those, you could play with the tone. But for the core, when you get an episode, I feel like that should all be of the same tone for these Star Wars films. Say what you will about Lucas, there was a consistency in tone between all of his episodes, and I do feel like this is the one that he might have the least say-so in. I'm going to just hazard that guess. Oh, definitely. (laughs) This feels like the least Lucas Star Wars movie I've ever seen. He didn't have any say really in the last one either, but... He'd see it and he'd give suggestions and what Kathleen Kennedy has said is most of his suggestions are basically about the Jedi and what the Jedi would and wouldn't do. He doesn't really care so much. He's got billions of dollars in retirement. So as far as I understand, he doesn't have much. And I agree with you, Jacob. The tones of Marvel and Star Wars should be very different. When I say that, what I'm saying is it almost feels like they're trying to contemporize Star Wars and make it more for the kids. I agree with that. And I also just think that they want to make us pay attention to characters that I kind of forget about. Poe and Hux didn't really register in that Force Awakens movie much for me. He seemed like he should have done something cool, but Poe ultimately just kind of was the guy that gave us BB-8. And here we're going to see Poe take the reins and put the resistance in jeopardy by insisting on attacking the ship. I found it interesting. I found out after the fact... Poe was going to die in that last film. Oscar Isaacs convinced J.J. to let him live, but I think it does show that there were a lot of times. It felt like when I rewatched Force Awakens, every time Poe came in, somebody said, wow, what a great pilot, and that's all he did. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my question for this great pilot. We see some kind of meter. I'm like, are they going Independence Day? Is he uploading a virus (laughs) to the Dreadnought? What is that meter? I know he's stalling because I guess he's waiting for the bombers. Is that how far out the bombers are? All right, here's the whole thing. And it took my second watching to catch this. He is loading up his afterburner, which no X-Wing before has had an afterburner. But when he finally hits it and says, punch it, BB, and BB like rolls backwards, instead of the four engines on the wings that light up always, there's a big engine in the back 
It's like the Nas of the X-Wings <laughs> that gets him over to the Dreadnought, and his job is to take out the guns. And you know what? This movie shows me it doesn't tell me he's a great pilot. And it reminds me of so many of those missions I used to play on, like, the X-Wing games where your mission is go and take out the Star Destroyer's guns so other ships can come in and do that. So that's what Poe was doing, is he had to take out the guns so that the bombers could come in. If the Dreadnought still had those guns, it could easily shoot down the bombers. And I got that he was there to take out the guns. He does put out a line. I just didn't understand what was supposed to be loading up on his screen, why he was stalling. But okay, it was for afterburners. And there's some interesting shots. He's going to get his weapon systems damaged. And we get this shot of BB-8 dropping down into the X-Wing, like where they kind of like do a cross section, which with The Force Awakens, I liked when they did things that were different, that you had your Darth Vader character being pulled to the light side. So yeah, that we're going to get new and interesting shots. I have no problem with that, like this cross section piece. I like that, although I didn't know fixing a weapon system was akin to putting fingers in a dike. Yeah, again, serious starship battle, and then we're going to get, yeah, something out of the Three Stooges. I like when that gun comes back online, that move that Poe does, because we've never seen an X-Wing battle in space with great CGI. I've never seen an X-Wing go through a turret like that, immediately do a 180, get behind the TIE Fighters behind it, do another 180 and shoot them. I mean, that, again... Wow, what a great pilot! (laughs) (laughs) I'm just confused. We have some dialogue. He's connected to General Leia back in the big ship. There's a cruiser that has most of the resistance. And she says, all right, come on home. We're evacuating. He says, no, I can take this thing out. Does everyone else disobey her too? Why are there suddenly all these bombers and X-Wings? She is the general. He's the captain. The captain tells them to keep going. He does not pull back, and so everybody follows the captain's orders. That's why he gets demoted, is he abuses that rank. Yeah, this seems like a really bad plan on Poe's part. Do not put him in charge of your strategy. Yeah, you're going to bring out these really slow bombers that kind of look like B-wings, but they have turrets at the end, and you got to fight off X-wings. Like, they got to slowly... Everything moves really slow in this film. They're going to (laughs) slowly fly over to the Dreadnought and try to bomb it, but they all get taken out. I think if this was making more sense or felt more Star Wars to me, I would have felt more of the tragedy here. Intellectually, I understood, okay, this is really bad. This is a bad moment for the Resistance. But if I cared about the Resistance because I knew about the politics of this universe or the tone was more somber right off the bat, I would have felt this was more of a tragedy to me because Poe is such a jokey character. I don't feel it has the emotional weight it should have. Well, I guess my intake is who was right. Are we to be behind Poe because he does succeed in destroying the Dreadnought? Are we to be with Leia because she sees how many lives we've lost, although we didn't know any of those characters? I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, during the moments, even though they're taking heavy losses, I don't know that's the entire Resistance fleet. That is not told to us beforehand, where I would realize each ship that goes down is really mattering. I do notice that they lose all their bombers. I always thought the Y-Wings were the bombers. That was the old stuff. Yes, I know. I was expecting Y-Wings to show up. But I actually like these bombers because it was a very World War II design with the turrets on the bottom and you're actually dropping bombs, not firing missiles. And I'm excited to see them blow up the Dreadnought because that Dreadnought looked badass. It's got a captain on it who looks pretty convincing. But is that Dreadnought the equivalent of the Death Star 2? Like, Poe is super excited to take out a Dreadnought, but you're fighting the First Order. I assume they have a lot of triangle ships, as Stuart would say. (laughs) I'm guessing that they do, but 
This one will help get them out of there and get their transports to safety. There's heroes on both sides, as Stuart <laughs> would say. I see Poe's side. I see why he did what he did. But strategically, he was looking in the moment. He was looking at the battle. He won the battle, but it could have lost them the war. And Leia, being the general, is looking at the big picture. And really, this is a military unit. And if I think about the military, if a captain refuses the orders, despite being in every action movie we've ever seen, it's usually really bad for that person. And this is where I get a little postmodern, too, and just be like, oh, so Leia is kind of like Kathleen Kennedy. Maybe <laughs> she didn't make the right decision, but it's her way. And so she's going to fire you just as she demotes Poe just because he didn't do what she said. Well, again, I, I think he made a bad decision. So maybe those Lego guys, maybe Trevor, maybe they were making bad decisions in their movies and Kathleen Kennedy is right. I don't know to be determined. But yeah, this is going to be a big theme of the movie is you don't always have to fight. Sometimes it's better to just run. I do like this fight, though. The fact that a TIE fighter gets blown up that's a good thing except the way it gets blown up its wings take out three bombers alone it leaves only Paige Tycho alive in the bombers and we see her as having a necklace she's going to become an important plot point later but she is the hero of the battle. She's the one who gets the bombs to finally drop from the remaining bomber, and it sacrifices her life to do so. We see her kicking like a ladder to knock down that remote to open the doors to drop the bombs. I'm like, that takes so long. I'm like, you had time to walk up that ladder and just get it. Me too, but I'm wondering if she was hurt from the fall. Yeah, I assume she broke her back. She was able to kick that thing with enough strength to knock down the remote. And she was able to twist and grab it when the remote goes <laughs> past her, so... I don't know. I, maybe she broke the other leg or something, but that was, again, one of the good 3D scenes with the remote way up top, her down at the bottom, and then seeing the bombs drop had a good depth effect. It felt strange to me to watch a character I've never seen before and will never see again get the hero moment. It made me take pause and it became something that I feel like we'll see again and again in this series where, yeah, someone totally new and female comes in to win the day. And then die. Yes. And it seems to be the new emphasis for how they're wanting to create this universe. That Poe is ultimately the bad guy for having done this is an interesting choice. Here's a plot convenience I wish I understood a little bit more. We see Snoke for the first time as a giant hologram slapping Hux around in a- Is he using the force through his hologram? Yeah, and we've seen Vader do that before. Remember when he showed up and choked the guy on the view screen? That's right. I didn't actually have a problem with it. I, it just, Snoke seems very powerful in this film. He does, absolutely. And Hux left bleeding, but he says, we have them tied on the end of a string. And then we immediately cut to Finn in the med bay. I'm like, they put trackers in their stormtroopers, don't they? That's how they have them on a string. No, they're going to mumble some techno babble about something else. And now they just can track people through hyperspace. And it's a brand new development they've never done before. Okay, so there is no tracker on a ship. This really confused me because I get that. Okay, we got him on a string. That means something. They're going to be able to follow him. But it's just if you go into hyperspace, you could follow wherever they go because they have a magic doodah. Yes, that's exactly it, and I would have liked it much better. They're going to make a big deal that Leia has this secret transponder technobabble thing, which is the way that Rey can find her way home. I'm like, did the First Order tap into that signal, and that's how they follow them? Does a stormtrooper have a tracker, and since they know Finn is on that ship, that's how they're tracking? I don't like that it's just, hey, we got an upgrade, and now we can do this. 
It's confusing. But it only works on one ship at a time, we'll find out. Again, there's things that just seem very convenient for the plot to move along. Not only that, but I would argue this is not the plot anyone would want. No one would want to spend an entire movie watching the Resistance and very small ships slowly just pulling away from the Triangle (laughs) ships without any real battles. Okay, I need to confess something, because I knew, because of time, I was only going to be able to see this movie once. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to spoil myself. I'm going to find out what the plot is so I could just really focus. If there's some crazy twist, I can look for those clues and be able to talk about it. So I went to Wikipedia. I read the plot summary. When I finished it, I'm like, huh, this surely can't be right. This is about a slow chase through space. For almost the entire film, someone has done a prank on Wikipedia. Someone got on here and edited it. This can't be right. This cannot be the plot. And I'm watching this film. I'm like, that is the plot. They are going to slowly crawl through space. I'm waiting for the projector to turn off, Ashton Kutcher to walk out to tell me he's punking me because I cannot believe that this is going to be half the movie. These ships slowly going through space and a chase, allegedly. When I'm watching the movie the first time, it doesn't hit me that that's like the main thrust of this movie. No, there is no thrust. They're, they're just crawling along there. <laughs> but if you were to give the 10,000-foot plot summary, it would be the Imperials chase the Rebels a long time. And look, I love Mad Max Fury Road. That movie is just a chase. But there are polecats. There's all kinds of crazy stuff in that movie. We don't get any space polecats trying to get aboard the ship here. We get one battle at the beginning. It's said that the TIE fighters eventually have to pull back because they can't be protected by the big triangle ships. But we do get Kylo Ren getting one moment to basically tell us whether he regrets killing Han. Because he's going to go out there and he has the opportunity to shoot his mother and to sides maybe not i love the editing of that scene because the way it fades from kylo ren to leia is exactly the same fade that they used it's just a really weird fade between luke and vader at the end of empire when they're having that telepathic communication and there's no words spoken like luke and vader had but you know that they're communicating with each other through the use of that editing style it's a great callback and it's intriguing to me to see kylo ren not pull the trigger there when he did pull the trigger on Han. But he was conflicted there, and I thought that's what was interesting about Kylo, is that he's a Darth Vader that doesn't need a Luke to give into the light side, that he feels that pull from the light. I will defend Adam Driver. I feel like people are so mad that he's not a badass. To me, that's what makes him complicated and interesting, is that he's trying to be Darth Vader, and it's just such a pissy child. Snoke is right. He calls him a child in a mask, and we see him have another flip out in the elevator before he gets in his ship that is what he's fighting that he can't live up to the image of what was created in episodes four through six he can't be that badass yeah he's gonna crush that mask of his and he's never gonna don it again in this film yes ryan johnson takes jj's negative and turns it into a positive he takes a poorly written character who doesn't deserve to have killed han solo and makes him complex because of it. He takes a flaw and makes it a character trait. It's not just the audience that can see how lame Kylo Ren is. The people in the universe, the fact that Snoke is speaking for the audience when he's bellowing at Kylo Ren, you were beaten by a girl who's never touched a lightsaber before? That was one of my big complaints about that damn movie. It's nice to see the films aware of the flaws and that 
makes Kylo Ren evolve. That is great work by Johnson. I don't think that J.J. would have been distanced enough to pull that off. Oh, I think J.J. knew the irony of Kylo Ren, that he was this whiny child that was trying to be the big bad Darth Vader. I like that about his character. And we see it. He can't pull the trigger here, but two other tight fighters do. And Akbar, do we see his death? I heard later that he died. I didn't see an on-screen death. This is upsetting to me as a Star Wars fan. Akbar was there. They had him talking earlier. He was on that bridge, and he was in the command chair that swings around like he was in Empire, and everybody on that bridge gets sucked into space. Now, we don't get a glory scene. We don't focus on the fish going out into space because <laughs> we're going to focus on Leia. And here, oh. this is the meta part of the movie for me is I went in spoiler free, but everybody knows of Carrie Fisher's passing last year yes. and wondering how the movies are going to handle it because everything I've read is that Ryan Johnson did provide an outline for episode nine for whoever was to make it, Colin Trevorrow or JJ, and Leia was going to be a huge part of it. So to see this at the beginning, I'm like, maybe they were lying. Maybe I heard bad information because it's all leaks anyway that I hear this stuff from. Maybe this is both of Kylo Ren's parents dying. I mean, when you see somebody sucked out into space, that's usually the end. <laughs> yeah, you, we see her freezing over like Gamora or like Yondu who actually died, but... In case you forgot, Leia is a Force user. She's Force-sensitive, and this is, I think, the only time we've ever seen her actually use it, except to communicate to Luke, maybe in The Empire Strikes Back. But yeah, she, oh man, she pulls herself to the ship. This is not good. This had to be tempting for the filmmakers, knowing what they know. We've got this. If Carrie is not going to be able to come back for nine, this could just be her end. We have Laura Dern in the wings. She could just take over from here on out. It's a very clean break. But they make the choice. And again, I feel like it's a Kathleen Kennedy choice of we want to see the women in Star Wars do well. We don't want to see Carrie Fisher or Leia die on screen. And so, yeah, you get this phantasmagoric moment. Again, another moment that doesn't feel like anything we've ever seen in Star Wars before. To me, I'm thinking Crouching Tiger in a martial arts movie <laughs> when she's in this flowing robe sailing back to the ship. Frozen in this one position. I think that seems like such a weird like cut and paste job that she never <laughs> even moves, which I guess she's frozen, but it's all in the execution of the shot that ruins it for me. It was like a Superman shot to me, but I definitely have seen people refer to it online as Mary Poppins, and now I can't <laughs> not see it as such. Yeah, because she's Yondu. But a friend of mine was at a screening Friday night with Ryan Johnson, who did a Q&A after. And my friend asked him, why did you make this decision? Were there talks about doing something different with Carrie Fisher? And just like you said, Stuart, Ryan Johnson said, we talked very seriously about having that scene be the end of Leia. But we didn't want to do that to Carrie because he says Carrie Fisher gives a great performance in the scene. And to do that means we lose her scene with Mark Hamill. We lose her scenes with Laura Dern. We lose her scenes with Poe Dameron. And we didn't want to do that because they're great scenes. We would have had to cut all that material and we decided not to do that. So we were just going to let the movie stand as it is and then try to figure out how episode nine does it. And I need to say something here. I agree with him. I came into this movie cringing because I think Carrie Fisher was one of the worst things about The Force Awakens. She can't talk. She's slurring everything. I did not want to see my heroes on screen like that. But here... Carrie Fisher does great. I think J.J., and I feel the same way about Adam Driver, two actors who are good here, not good in the last film. 
I'm going to credit Ryan Johnson from getting a astounding performance from Carrie Fisher in this film. What a high note to go out on. I applaud her. I will agree with you there, Arnie. I'm glad that she sticks around because as silly as this scene is, she has vastly improved since The Force Awakens. That was a low point for me, just that tight mouth delivery that she kept doing, that cigarette gravelly voice here. Yeah, I'm glad she's back. I'm glad we're going to see more of her throughout this film. I didn't have the problem you guys did in Force Awakens. I think it's just jarring, right? She doesn't look like Princess Leia anymore, and they had to totally reconceive the character to be a hardened general, and I think that might have just been abrupt. But I thought she was good in Force Awakens. I think she is better here. And I don't know how they're going to deal with it in 9. But I like that she lives. I mean, she is probably, in all honesty, she and Mark Hamill are probably my favorite characters yes. in this story. Agreed. And it's not just because they're from the original trilogy. It helps that I'm more connected to them for that reason. Yeah. But... That didn't help Leia for me in the last movie, nor Han really in the last movie and all of his callbacks, but because they both do give good performances here and we do get to see Mark Hamill. I mean, yeah, as Jacob mentioned, I loved that like when we were watching The Force Awakens together, Stuart, and it ends with Ray just like holding out that saber. You're like, <laughs> I can just stand here with it. <laughs> Come here, boy. Fetch. I mean, yeah, it's a really long shot of her standing about 20 feet away from him holding the lights saber and it just holds there in an aerial shot i'm like is somebody gonna do something <laughs> and there was the shot of his face i'm like is he like oh crap i've been found oh crap i can't believe that lightsaber is bad like what was his reaction going to be to her showing up my memory if you listen to my plot summary he agreed to train her i took it <laughs> in my mind i was like oh okay you've solved the mystery i laid a path for myself and if you're worthy enough to find me i will train you so you're saying that this is like Google when they buy billboards with equations, and if you could figure out the equation to get the email address or the phone number, then you're worthy of being interviewed? Yeah, I definitely thought that it would not be hard for him to come to the idea of training Ray. but we are to understand that it was so painful to watch Kylo Ren become fake Darth Vader that he never wants anyone ever in the universe... To practice the Force again. I kind of got that from the trailers. I knew that was going to be his conflict. What I did not expect was him to take the saber and toss it over his shoulder like it's a comedy. I expected a, like, a slide whistle at that point. I'm thinking, okay, what is Mark Hamill supposed to be doing here? Is he supposed to be crazy like Yoda on Dagobah? Which would have kind of been cool if he's just totally lost it. But no, he's just bitter and pissy. Why couldn't he just drop the sabers? The fact he just tosses it over his shoulder. My wife turned to me. She's like, are we in Three's Company? Is this a sitcom? <laughs> I get what you're saying, Jacob. But if he dropped it, it gives it weight. I think this is a message from Ryan Johnson. You know, the way JJ set it up, that lightsaber had so much meaning. It gave Ray a vision. Vision. It has to get back to Luke. And Luke's like, meh. It just kind of tosses it over the shoulder. I think this is as much a meta message to us about what we cared about in the last movie as it is Luke being a little funny. And my audience, they all laughed. It does get a laugh. If he dropped it, you wouldn't have gotten that reaction. It would just be like, oh, does it have a bad Force 5? Why did he do it? The way he does it makes it very clear wordlessly. But... It's not a Star Wars episode movie to me, that tone. And I'll agree, the audience is going to laugh throughout this film. And I had a Stuart watching Thor Ragnarok experience here. Because to me, The Last Jedi, this is supposed to be 
heavy. This is supposed to be semi-serious as a Star Wars film, and I feel like we're going to get a whole lot of jokey jokes. Yeah. When those porgs are looking at that tossed lightsaber, I thought one was going to jump on the ignition button, and it was the blade was going to go through the other porg. Like, I thought we were going to get that kind of comedy. I thought so, too, and I was so scared. I love porgs. My house is filled with porgs. I did not want to see a porg slice through with a saber. I'm going to say too many damn porgs in this movie. And then again, they're there for jokey jokes. They're going to smash up against the window when the Millennium Falcon goes into light speed. I was waiting for them to like shit on the windshield and like Chewie had to turn on the windshield wipers or something. It's no different than 3PO in the Carbonite Chamber. It's better than Jar Jar. There is a moment here that's as bad as Jar Jar. They are the Jar Jars of this <laughs> new trilogy. No, no, you are way yes. overselling it and oversensitive. They are used perfectly. They are not over pork. I was very spoiler-free going into this. I say I only saw the trailer a couple times. I knew nothing. But I do come over to Arnie's house. <laughs> I have noticed over the last few months more and more of these bug-eyed little birds here. They remind me a lot of Puffin. Iceland is filled with these little unique birds that are kind of goofy, penguin-looking things. And I'm wondering if maybe that's what they were trying to do with the porgs here. Exactly. The island where they shot was overrun with Puffins, and... Johnson thought they should pay homage to that fact, so they created the porks. Yeah, they're cute, dumb birds. I thought they were going to be Ewoks. I guess the only thing is, and I'm not saying I wanted that, I just expected them to have a storyline. And in fact, they are just background characters. They're there to make Chewie feel bad for wanting to eat. I think about that meme, you know, can I has a cheeseburger? They feel like <laughs> they're meant to be things that you pass around the internet, that their expression will express your feelings of incredulity. Oh, no, they're going to be the new minions of memes, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, yeah. Marjorie, the moment a Porg showed up on Force Friday 2 in September, Marjorie started the Facebook page, Porgography, and we do all things Porgs. And I was scared that they would be the Ewoks or something. I think that they're used absolutely perfectly. They make me smile. Their CGI is so cute with those big eyes. I felt so bad when Chewie cooked two of them, but they're dead already, Chewie. You might as well eat those. Just don't kill more. Yes, I know. Don't waste it. That felt like a Lion King moment. I mean, I, I always had that problem in Lion King where the lion is going to like live with the meerkat and the pig, <laughs> and he's not going to follow the circle of life anymore and eat animals. He's going to just eat like grub worms or something. And here, <laughs> Chewie is similar. It makes me think about the Disney ownership. Another Lion King moment is that when Rey is finally going to be taught the Force, she's going to be beat with a stick for being literal. And that was a big scene from Lion King, right? The guy took a stick. Rafiki, the monkey, yeah. Yeah, the monkey. And she's like, see, it's in the past. Bang, you know, like this training, if that's what you want to call it, is slapdash and very jokey and not at all like empires. Even before we get to the training, we're going to see Luke just going about his day as Ray's trying to convince him to train her. And he's going to walk up to an alien with udders and just <laughs> sit there and start milking it. My mouth was agape. I'm like, what am I in? <laughs> <laughs> Again, where's Ashton Kutcher? I'm waiting for him to tell me I'm pumped. It was so weird because I see that animal sitting there and it's got these lumps at the crotch area. And I'm like, did they give that creature balls? And then he comes around to the front. I'm like, oh, they're teats. Oh, he's milking it. Oh, it's green. He's drinking it unpasteurized. And now he's making crazy old man face with milk in his beard. This is surreal. And yeah, you can't talk about training. He says he's going to give her three lessons. She only sticks around for two of them. And then yeah. it's gone. All this time on the island is not training. This time is her pestering him. Hey, pay attention to me. Hey, do something with me. And he's 
fishing and it's raining and he's milking a creature. That is the Jar Jar moment. Him milking that creature for me is equivalent to Jar Jar when he steps in poo. It's a little gross. Look, this doesn't deserve to be the longest Star Wars film. Cut that scene. There's a lot of things that could be cut. A lot of jokey jokes. I was blown away. I mean, Lord Dern, I'm thinking David Lynch, and this is a David Lynch moment when he milks that alien. The first cut was over three hours, so he did cut a lot. I would say there is a utilitarian purpose for showing this. It's all done in montage. We wanted to know what Luke was doing, how he was living, and it's a monastic life. He lives in a little egg hut. Later, we're going to find out. He wishes to die. He came here with the intent of dying. He's not suicidal. He's not going to attempt to take his life, but he is essentially trying to live a bare minimum existence. I mean, I'd want to die too if all I had was fish and green milk. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he has pulled a Yoda here. This is why Yoda went to Dagobah because he failed with Anakin and saving the Republic. It's weird that this is what Jedi do when they fail is they just go into hiding. It is really sickening that both Yoda, I laughed about that at Revenge of the Sith. Oh, I lost one fight into seclusion. I must go. Or he says exile. So why do you need to be exiled? No, go marshal the forces. Help the rebels. Don't go into exile. But here with Luke, I was scared this movie. They even made fun of it. There is a photo that Daisy Ridley and Mark Hamill took of, I think it's Mark Hamill, like on Daisy Ridley's back. (laughs) Telling her to run, (laughs) just like Yoda was on Luke's back and the training and things, and I was scared to death. Oh boy, we're going to have the Empire Strikes Back. We kind of do. We have some people go on a crazy mission trying to escape the Empire. They're being chased, they're being chased, they're being chased. And separately, we have a wannabe Jedi seek out a hermit on a remote planet and get trained. And I'm glad that it's not Luke like, oh good, you did find me, now let me train you. I'm glad that we get these scenes and see Luke's guilt because what we're eventually going to find out, we're told it three different ways. Real Rashomon thing going on here. Luke says that he felt darkness within Kylo Ren, or Ben Solo as he was known as then. Somehow Snoke got to Ben Solo. Don't know how, don't know why, but Snoke stoked the darkness in Ben, and Luke sensed that. And we're going to see that Luke went to confront him, is the story we're first told, and we see from Kylo Ren's point of view, he force pushes Luke, and Luke is injured. But then Kylo Ren's going to tell the story through force Skype, which we need to talk about, because that's like half the movie, that Luke came, and he woke up as Luke was trying to kill him, and he defended himself, and the truth is somewhere in between. Luke went, and for a fleeting moment, had a vision of the future, and thought he might be able to stop it. He did ignite his saber, but he never went to strike, and as he'll say, the last thing he saw were the frightened eyes of a child as Ben Solo pushes him away. I don't understand this. He regrets that he didn't do it, or he regrets that he ever had the thought to do it. He regrets that he ever had the thought to do it. Because I think that's what set Ben Solo off and put him on that path to really become Kylo Ren. They say that he was dealing with Snoke before, but as Ray says later on, the future isn't set, that he still had a choice and Luke should have respected that he had to make that turn to the dark side. He couldn't just preemptively kill him. But Ray also says that it's not Luke's fault. And what you're telling me is that it is Luke's fault. Luke blames himself for not being a good enough teacher. And he blames himself 
himself for giving in basically the dark side because the Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. That's what Yoda taught Luke. And Luke was about to kill someone in their sleep. That is a dark side dick move. And so he regrets that decision. And I understand Mark Hamill had a lot of problems with the script and now I know why. <laughs> I think that this might have been a compromise between him and Ryan Johnson where how about if I light the saber, but I feel really bad about it <laughs> because he blames himself for being arrogant saying he felt the force within Ben and thought he could harness it with that Skywalker blood and then that the darkness was too great and he wasn't a good enough teacher and then he did light that lightsaber so he feels he set him on that path and deserves to never come into contact with anyone again. And I feel that he's right. If that is the case it is his fault. Ray is wrong. Luke it's to blame for the reason why we got Kylo Ren. But Ben was already working with Snoke and the darkness was in him before Luke did what he did. Yeah but you know what? You're a high school teacher. You see a troubled youth maybe joining a gang you don't shoot him you try to inspire him you try to bring out that light side but you know what i think that's an interesting thing that luke failed here and that yeah he's was willing to mercy kill him i felt like that would have been a real shocking moment and they kind of had their bets on that and and lighten it up in this film but i thought that would have brought some real pathos to luke's character i didn't know anything about this plot but i assumed the plot of this or at least the villain of this was going to be Luke, that they were toying with the idea of making him a villain or being the thing that would be fought in this movie. But really, it comes down to one lightsaber battle. There was all this talk online, is he a gray Jedi, whatever that means. He's neither light side nor dark side. He's somewhere in the middle. But what he really is, is he's hung up on the Force. He's like, I'm cutting myself off. The Force ghosts are bugging me way too much. And Leia will be able to sense where I am and find me. And other Jedi could sense where I am and find me. And so I'm cutting myself off. But meanwhile, Rey is having all these Force experiences unlike any other because... Yeah, she just starts getting telephone calls through the force from Kylo Ren. I call it force time, you know, like FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I did like how they executed this. We've seen people talk or at least communicate through each other through the force like this. Yeah, they would shoot it like it was the same scene. But of course, one's on a starship, one's on this island. And so there's different backgrounds. But I did like, you know, having someone like Ryan Johnson, who does have more of a cinematic eye. I like the execution here. I like that too. I like the detail where Kylo Ren says, can you see my background? I see you. I don't see your surroundings. That's going to play into things later on. But here's the problem I have with this film. Daisy Ridley. <laughs> some of her line deliveries are truly awful, and some of the stuff written for her is also bad. The first two Skype calls they have, I called it for Skype, are just her screaming at him. And he's like, hey, why don't you chill? Let's chat. And she's like, you're a monster! And just going all off. And then some of her lines that she delivers, there's one line she delivers to Luke that is just absolutely... When she says, Master Skywalker, we need you to bring the Jedi back because Kylo Ren is strong with the dark side of the Force. Without the Jedi, we won't stand a chance against him. It is truly bad. She's not the worst in the movie, but she's bad. I'll say this. I praised Carrie Fisher. I praised Mark Hamill on this film. I think they're great. Oscar Isaac, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, 
actors that I liked in the last film, this is a step down. I just don't enjoy their performances as much here. Adam Driver, I don't enjoy his performance as much. I don't know if it's the writing. Oh, I like him better. I like what they do with the character. It's all the delivery. There just seems to be something missing to me with all of their moments. Rewatching The Force Awakens and looking at Daisy Ridley, I remember thinking that she really commanded the screen, and now I almost see like it's too much of one thing. I mean, the feist is strong with that one. Every scene, she has just got this jaw, and she's like a rabid dog. I'm like, we never see a soft side. We never see doubt. She can do everything, and she's attacking everyone. And after a while, yeah, I'm starting to pity Kylo Ren here when she gets these phone calls. I'm like, God, I can't take it anymore. Stop <laughs> bullying me. <laughs> I do like the one where she comes in and she's like, I can't do this right now. And he's like, it's not a good time for me either. And my thought because of the humor in this movie is, is he on the toilet? <laughs> it's kind of, he's getting dressed. But when she finds out, her first response is to pick up a lightsaber and attack Luke? No, she doesn't pick up the lightsaber at first. She does get that staff and goes after him. When she confronts Luke about what Kylo Ren tells her, which is that Luke tried to kill him. And Luke says, just get off the island. She hits him in the back with a staff, which is horrible. She conks him from behind. I mean, that's not a good move. He force pulls like an antenna to him or something and they battle. She loses her staff because he pulls it away from her. And so she goes to the saber, which is a bit much. I was very surprised to see her that angry at Luke. I mean, this was the man that she came here to collect. The only man that she believes that can stop Snoke and to treat him this way. I get that she might be angry, but she's angry all day long. She really <laughs> does need to control this. It is not a surprise to know the dark side is pulling her into this subterranean water cave because she is dark. And I called this out in The Force Awakens. When she has that final lightsaber fight with Kylo Ren, she goes crazy. I'm like, oh, this movie could have ended with her killing Kylo Ren and her taking his place on the dark side. And that would have been a crazy awesome <laughs> twist. And I'm waiting for that to happen because I've seen that in her. They wrote that into her character that she is angry. <laughs> they could have done something interesting here. The fact that she's going to go into this cave, just like Luke went into a cave in Empire Strikes Back to confront his dark side. I don't understand what happens here. She's snapping. I don't know if she's going to go, when you're a Jedi, you're a Jedi all the way. <laughs> like, I don't understand what she finds out by doing this cave. It's a cool scene, though. I like the effect of it. I like the sound effects and the way it traveled across the IMAX room. Unfortunately, though, unlike Luke's experience in the cave where he sees Vader, she's like, please show me my parents, show me my parents, show me my parents, <laughs> which remind me a little bit of Tiffany in Hellraiser 2. But when the glass clears, she sees herself. Maybe it means you don't have parents. You are your own parent because you've raised yourself. She's like Anakin. She was conceived by the Force. Well, no, we're going to find out she was conceived by a couple of drunkards who sold her for liquor, but... Well, we don't know that. That is what's told to her. But what I get is that they're teasing us. They're not telling us anything. They're teasing us that, yeah, she may have a dark side. And the second half of this movie will be as she is bringing herself to Kylo Ren, is she bringing herself also to the dark side? But what does she learn about her dark side then in that cave? That is my question. That cave is cool looking. I don't know if that's seaweed, what it is when you go down into it. It's cool. 
but I don't know what she learns down there. I don't have a real good beat on this character. She's so one note and all she's done is be angry and feisty. I don't have any compassion for her anymore. I thought that she was a strength as a backup dancer, as I put it, in the <laughs> Vegas review show of last time. But now if she's carrying this movie, if she's what's supposed to be the future for the force, I don't like her. I don't like her performance, but I like some of the things they write for her character. I like that we get to see her training with a staff and then picking up a lightsaber and training with it. It shows she's practicing. It's going to help me believe what she's going to do later versus last movie where she just picks up a lightsaber for the very first time and kicks the quote unquote big bad guy's ass. And yet she doesn't need training. We are ultimately going to find out she's going to leave Luke behind because she realizes at this point he can't save them and he's not coming. And we get an inexplicable scene. That, again, I need major help on this. <laughs> Yoda ghost comes and burns down the library? <laughs> What is wrong with Yoda ghost? How did they screw up the look of Yoda? They're definitely using a puppet, but it looks like he's gotten older and he's a ghost. He can't age. Yes, it is a puppet. I thought maybe they made him younger, like they were trying to bridge the gap between the episode one puppet that looked really bad and how he looked in the other five movies. And they did replace the episode one puppet eventually on Blu-ray, but I thought maybe this was middle-aged Yoda or something. But he looked different. But I'm glad they went back to a puppet. I'm glad he's goofy Yoda again. Like when Luke's yes. trying to put out the fire, Yoda's stomping his feet. He can't contain his laughter. And the books aren't burned. The books are on the Falcon. That's my question. We're going to see Ray with the books later. Did Yoda do this because he didn't want Luke to discover that she had taken the books? Because that would have set him off. Is Yoda doing this to say, look, yeah, you're right. We're all failures. Let's burn it all down and we can move on and learn from that. I think that's exactly what it is. Even if the books were in it, I think Yoda would have done it. I mean, Luke is dramatic here. He's grabbed a candle that looks like a stick of dynamite and says, I'm going to burn it down when Yoda appears. And I was spoiler free. I didn't know Yoda was in this. That was a big moment for me. I was like, wow, they brought Yoda back. Cool. And Luke's going to burn it down. And then he hesitates. And Yoda's like, ah, screw your drama. Here's the lightning bolt. I'm going to do it. And I think Yoda's saying, yes, we need to burn down what's done before. Hey, old Star Wars fans, we need to burn down what's done before and start new. If you don't allow us to change, then get off the bus. I get it. That's what Ryan Johnson is saying. Toss the lightsaber over the shoulder. Burn it all down. Let's do something new. And I was reading about all this Star Wars fan outrage at this film. And I would say I'm a more tempered Star Wars fan. Like, I had no problem with The Force Awakens. I thought that was a great Star Wars film. I'm bothered here just because the radical shift in tone. I still feel like, yes, you want to burn down what the Jedi Order is and lightsabers are silly. That's fine, but you got to stay in that tone. And so, good message, bad execution. Yeah, if we had the whole movie on that theme, I could be really with it. But interspersed with all of this, I really got a problem with the editing of this movie. But slapdash in the middle of all of these scenes of Rey and Luke and Yoda and Chewie and R2's here too. You barely can pay attention to it. Does Ryan Johnson and JJ, do they hate R2-D2 with 3PO? <laughs> I mean, what the hell? I did like when Luke sees R2. That was a tender reunion there. He was excited to see him. But then we get, I guess, a Finn plot. It makes me feel like we have too many characters. Remember Finn's in this movie? 
we've, I don't think we've mentioned him yet. I guess he was in a coma or whatever at the end of The Force Awakens and he wakes up. I guess they don't have Bacta tanks anymore where you float in the water. They're just vests they put on you now and he's going to walk around with water leaking all over. It does feel like Johnson was saddled with characters he didn't know what to do with. Yes. And so he tries to kind of retell a Han Solo-ish tale of when Han Solo goes to Bespin. But he adds characters. I mean, we're going to get Rose here. Why couldn't this whole mission be with Poe? Yeah, there's a lot of problems I have that go on with the Resistance, including added characters. I don't like Rose. The least favorite thing in this whole movie. I hate her. I like how we're introduced to her. Socially awkward and crying and things. I was confused because she has that same necklace as the woman who lets the bombs out. I'm like, wait, I thought she died. Did she not make it? But we're going to be told that I guess that was her sister. I don't like Rose, though, because she's a rule follower. She's going to tase Finn, paralyze him, because he wants to get out of there and find Ray. Remember Finn and Ray were friends in the last film? You would never know it from this one, because they're never going to hang out till the very end. And Luke and Leia don't really hang out in Empire either. They have a scene at the beginning, and these characters have a scene at the end, but there's something interesting. You mentioned that necklace. That necklace, it's a yin-yang symbol, basically, is her sister had the other half. The two would form a circle. When Luke is training Rey, he's like, what do you see in the Force? She's like, life and death and death feeding life. You know, the circle of life that Stuart mentioned. And Mm -hmm. they're having their conversations next to I dare not call it a fountain so much as a glorified tile puddle that was like one inch of water, but underneath was another yin-yang symbol. It was a tree, and half of it was black with white spots, and the other half was white with black spots. And we're going to get Benicio Del Toro saying there are no bad guys. The arms dealers, they sell weapons to the bad guys. Oh, look, they also sell weapons to the good guys. They blow you up today, you blow them up tomorrow. There's something in here, I don't feel it actually ends up meaning anything, but it's the motif of the movie is you must find balance. You talk about Luke and the gray side of the force. Yeah, it's not black and white. It's somewhere in between. I took it a different way. Yes, I recognize there's definitely a theme in here, but this is the clumsiest insertion of that theme, that she had a sister that died and that she is going to magically out of thin air come up with a theory on how to stop this hyperspace tracking and she's going to be the one just dragging it along. It's awful. It really robs Finn of usefulness. And then who decided, let's call Han Solo's old friend Maz Kanata, who's playing some laser tag or something. I swear this is only in there to let us know that Maz survived that fight that broke out at her bar in the last film. Because she said, how did I get this lightsaber? That's a story for another time. Not this time. Maybe she'll (laughs) tell it to us in the next film. And I think that they're making a jab at episode one. They're like, Maz, what's going on? Union dispute. You don't want to hear about it. You're right. We don't want to hear about labor disputes and trade agreements. But they call her and she's going to send them to a planet. You know, they're on the run. They're running out of gas. Yes, this is so crazy. Yeah, I'm so angered by this plot. I just can't understand anything that they're doing. They're going to have to go after a master code breaker in Space Las Vegas. Why couldn't Rose be the code breaker? Why do we need this whole subplot. I hate all this space casino stuff. And they never get the code breaker and they No. They have Justin Thoreau playing the code breaker, but I don't know why. There's a ton of cameos in this movie. 
Also in this casino scene is an alien voiced by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, making him one of the only two actors to be in every Ryan Johnson movie. Warwick Davis is in here as an alien. Sadly, he's not the Leprechaun. I really wanted mm. him to be the Leprechaun because that would make Leprechaun in space part of Star Wars <laughs> canon. <laughs> I so hate what they do with BB-8 in this movie. I loved BB-8 in The Force Awakens. I said, they actually made a droid cooler than R2. I'm sorry, R2. I take that back. I apologize. I hate what they do with BB-8 here that this little dwarf alien is going to be sticking quarters in him because he thinks he's a slot machine. I found it funny. And then he's going to shoot those quarters out later. Oh, I hate this stuff. I liked it. I liked when the leprechaun later as the casino is getting torn up is just reveling in me gold because I thought it was Warwick Davis the first time. Oh, I hate it all. I also like... John Williams makes a song that sounds like the Cantina Band came on for an encore. It's jizz music again. Remember jizz? <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I was waiting to see if we're going to see Moe's Nodal in, in the Cantina Band from A New Hope, I, because it sounds just like them. It did, and that's good for me. I like this much better than I liked Maz Kanata's Temple with its rock music and its aliens playing checkers and looking like an outtake from Dark Crystal. I mean, I think this works better than that but again there's the, the balance there's that these people rose sees them as evil and finn's loving the planet because it's las vegas and she's like look closer and he takes that literally he grabs some binoculars <laughs> and then he starts seeing that they're whipping animals and whipping children and yeah we see a racetrack and they're like look down there and i'm like oh damn we're we gonna get some pod racing in this movie no it's just some like weird space deer that's gonna run around the idea that they are Dealing with a place that, although it looks like fun and pleasure, and you can have a good time spending your money there, to know that it ultimately goes to funnel the bad guys is a really interesting notion. And I recommend you see Daniel Craig's Casino Royale to see that explored. <laughs> yes. I thought that Daniel Craig wasted his cameo in the last film. He should have been in this one. The Space James Bond. That would have been great. If they're going to do this, and I'm against them doing it, but if they're going to do this, there should be a modicum of importance to what's being done here. That something here means something and that they accomplish something for all of the time they spend here. I do not see that they get anything other than a couple stable boys to learn the force. Yeah, this is problematic. I mean, first of all, they're stupid. They park on a beach. Illegally. There's a guy there saying, don't park on the beach. Right. Why not park where everyone else is parking? Give it to the valet. Yeah. If they had parked in a lot instead <laughs> of on the beach, they could have succeeded in everything. It's so maddening. I can't tell you how angry I am during every <laughs> rethink yes. of this casino world. I just can't. I'm so angry. And then I can't decide if this is the point. I think it is. Finn and Rose accomplish nothing. Nothing. She gets to castigate him for being a coward, but that's it. And then fall in love with him. But they don't help the resistance in any way. They don't do anything. Maybe that's the point. Is like, they're going to pull off a harebrained scheme just like we saw Luke and Han do in the Death Star. And they're like, you know, this mostly won't work. And this case, it is a failure. And they have an exact repeat of the Lando Calrissian duplicity through this character DJ played by Benicio Del Toro. 
Yeah, Porky Pig, one of the few characters Disney doesn't own. Oh, I, I see what you're doing there, Arnie. That wasn't a stutter <laughs> on your part. Yeah, and that stutter seems to come late. I didn't notice it first off, but when he joins with the First Order, yeah, he's got this weird stutter all this. Oh, it's there from the b- b- beginning. <laughs> I didn't hear it, but it was interesting with my wife next to me watching this because, you know, she saw those original, like, Star Wars films with her dad. I don't know if she's ever seen the prequels. She, like, knows about Jar Jar. She saw The Force Awakens with me, and she's, like, just watching this movie. She's like, what? Huh? What's going on? I don't understand anything. We'll see Rose flash like a secret decoder ring with a rebel symbol in there. She's like, why is she showing that ring? I don't understand anything. Because they want us to buy it, I think. I'm really thinking. (laughs) Yes. Her universe will be selling that. Yes. I'm really thinking that's the very first time I've seen product placement. Normally they just build ships so we buy replicas of them. But I have a (laughs) feeling that ring will be out by Christmas. I'm just warning people that aren't Star Wars fans. I don't know if this is the movie for you. Based on my wife as a very casual person who has seen Star Wars. She was so confused throughout this movie. I was confused a lot of the time too, but they were showing insider stuff that she just never understood. She's like, why did they do that shot? Why did they show that thing? I feel like I'm in that group. Definitely. I've seen all the movies, but I don't feel like I've lived it. I certainly can't name everyone on screen at any given point, but what I feel like they're doing is appeasing a small fan base. They feel like this is the storyline where they can reach the youngest members of the audience. Last time they had BB-8 being really cute. Here, BB-8, at some point he's fighting an evil BB-8, but I don't (laughs) feel like he does anything, and really we're supposed to be enchanted by the idea of kids that look like them learning the Force, and we're told by the very end of this, they're going to be the ones that build the resistance up. This is going to be the savior of the entire universe, these kids in the stable who let Rose and Finn escape on some giant wolves. That is Marjorie's theory, is that Ryan Johnson's new trilogy is all about Broom Boy. Yeah. Getting a little bit ahead, when we find out about Ray's parents, you mentioned it, Arnie, that they're nobodies. I like that idea. One of the things I didn't like about the prequels is that it made this universe too small. And I like the idea, say, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're a super strong Force user. You're not special. You weren't conceived by the Force. You had some drunks as parents that sold you off so they could get more alcohol. That's a cool idea. So yeah, we're going to see these random stable kids and this is the new order. It's not this sacred Skywalker bloodline. I like those ideas. I just don't like most of the execution of them in this film. It feels like a Harry Potter movie, right? Yes. I called out Harry Potter at the end, yeah, when that kid takes up his broom. Well, certainly that, but even in the scenes where they're, like, running through the casino and... Yes, on those space deer. Yeah, Maddie and Kira eating this stuff up. Must love this. Yeah, it just does not feel like any Star Wars I've ever seen before, including the Ewok movies. I just feel like Disney either wants it to have a new feel and is taking it there, or they don't understand the Lucas touch. I don't know what Disney influence is on this film. As I understand it, Kathleen Kennedy rules the roost and Bob Iger just says, Kathleen Kennedy, here's the dates we need your movies out by, go to town. So maybe it's Kathleen Kennedy trying to think about that kitty influence. But did she ever work with Lucas before they struck this deal? She worked with Spielberg a lot, but from what I can tell, the only time she worked with Lucas was on all the Indiana Jones films, which Lucas wrote and executive produced, and she produced and worked with Lucas. Yeah, I know her more for being such a collaborator with Spielberg. I'm hesitant, other than the broom scene, because I thought of nothing more than Fantasia (laughs) with the brooms, (laughs) but... I'm hesitant to put much on Disney for this, but yet 
it doesn't feel completely out of place in almost every Star Wars movie, somebody's ridden a beast. And I was kind of thinking of the Reeks from Revenge of the Sith. John Williams is going to do some callbacks to his Revenge of the Sith score here, which I found amusing. Luke is going to actually call the Emperor Darth Sidious, which we've never heard him do before. So they're saying the prequels did happen, despite how people are trying to say that they didn't. But I could see why kids would eat up this kind of action. It's very light action. It's very silly action, though. In a very silly movie. Because it's all because they parked on a beach. Yeah, it, because none of it means anything, it almost feels like they made the spinoff movie and then, then cut it up and stuck it in the movie <laughs> we were trying to watch. Benicio Del Toro's character, DJ, he's kind of goofy, but I like him. The way he just sticks a business card and the sensor and it opens the doors up to the jail cell. If he was the comedic relief in this film, I could have gone with him more. But he's just another funny character in a movie full of jokes, and it's just too much. I do like his character, although... The way he looks, I mean, we are introduced to him by his socks and he's talking before he sits up. And I knew Benicio Del Toro was in this movie. But so help me God, I'm like, is that Buster Poindexter from Scrooge? <laughs> he looks just like Buster Poindexter is that cab driver. It's getting hot, hot, hot. Yeah. <laughs> it was that five o'clock shadow. Yeah. Yeah. But... He's an interesting character, and I like interesting characters. The fact that he has the stutter, the fact that he can break out so easily. Does it really take a master code cracker if you could find two on Canto Bite? That's the name of that planet. You have the one played by Justin Thoreau, and then you also have one in the prisons, and he could have walked out at any time, but he was waiting for them? Bad plot contrivances here that we're not going to get the guy we're supposed to, but hey, there's a guy just like him, just as good. I'm flabbergasted. Every time we come back here, I'm like, I don't understand this movie. I understand the other movie. This movie, I do not get. It's almost like they cut up the Clone Wars animated movie <laughs> and stuck it in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, it's, I don't get why we're dealing with Stinky and we're trying to deal with this darkness too. Sometimes you have those commercials where they want to show you the audience reaction and they have the night vision cameras in there. If there's one of those on my face throughout this film i just it was scrunched up because i'm just trying to understand what is happening here plot wise but more just i can't believe this is a star wars episode movie like it's baffling i had a lot of problems with this on my first viewing i'll admit this whole thing especially this movie again is long and it feels long especially again on my first viewing i didn't feel it so much the second time watching it the second time i realized this is maybe 15 minutes of the movie they really do get to canto bite and get back pretty quickly and it does bring in benicio's character but the time they spend there does feel wasted, and I do think this movie could have benefited from 20 minutes being cut out of it. I would ask this. What is this movie about at this point? When you see all of these very story strands, and again, I really fault the editing and directing, really, the setting the tone for this. We're all over the map at this point. What is the major takeaway from all of this? The theme that I pick up on is that Star Wars is now, or the Rebellion at least, is now led by a woman. And I wonder if that's maybe why Kathleen Kennedy is making some of these choices. Leia goes into a coma. We have Vice Admiral Holdo walking in here. Everyone's surprised that the hero of the Battle of Chiron or whatever the hell is Laura Dern. I'm a little surprised. I didn't know she was going to be in this movie. I did. And here's Laura Dern being stern. But... I feel this is a bad choice, not only because I never like Laura Dern on, by and large, 
the best Laura Dern for me is usually she's okay. And here I feel she's okay. It's like Jurassic Park. I thought she's okay. But you know who would have really rocked in this role? Akbar. If you just don't send that fish out into space and you have Akbar make a noble sacrifice at the end, that would mean so much more. But here, I think this is Kathleen Kennedy's story. This used to be George Lucas's world, and it used to be about male heroes saving the day, and now we're moving into a new era where I'm calling all of the shots, and what does it look like for the women to hold power? We are seeing the resistance whittled down. We see at one point one of the ships runs out of gas, and they evacuate everyone, I think is what's said, but the captain goes down with the ship, and you're seeing more and more of the men destroyed, and I'm seeing a lot more women at the controls of all of these ships. What's left of the resistance is female. I did notice on the second viewing, they did say they evacuated them, but you see the transports. Laura Dern, I'm torn, because on the one hand, you could have cut 15 minutes out of this movie if Laura Dern had just said to Poe, hey, there's a rebel base right over there, we're heading to it. If she just said that, then Poe's angst and sending Finn away and Poe starting a mutiny, none of this would have been necessary if only she'd said, we're going here. But the fact that she doesn't, I mean, she's the military commander. She's a vice admiral. A vice admiral does not need to explain herself. You need to fall into line. Stuart, you keep calling out this is Kathleen Kennedy making a proclamation that she's taking over. I see it another way. Again, in this era of Trump, where North Korea, you do what I say, I'm not afraid to bomb you. This is a movie about, no, we're going to flee. We're going to stay safe. We're not going to take the battle to them. When Poe, when Finn later on tries to do something heroic by self-sacrifice, no, that's the wrong decision again and again in this movie. I think that what we see or what I'm seeing is men are hot-headed. They make bad choices. Poe takes us into things that maybe we like to see, battles that are fun, but that kill a lot of people. Women are cautious. Women are protectors. Ultimately, what's going to be at the soul of this is a woman here. And so, yeah, I think in every one of these storylines, whether it's Holdo telling Poe to tone it down, or Rose telling Finn not to be a coward, or Ray telling Luke, stop being so sullen and get back into the fight, you're seeing women taking power. And I wonder if there's going to be blowback on that. I wonder, I know that Ghostbusters 2016 took a lot of heat because it was perceived by some that women were supplanting the men in a role that is beloved. Is that going to be some of the blowback here for Star Wars? Already has been. Yeah. One popular Star Wars collecting site has come out very strongly against the role of women and minorities. Yeah, they're very nasty, too. They're like this overweight Asian character. Like, they had to call out her weight and her mm. race. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ugly. It really does exemplify the state of our country right now. Though. Yeah, I think we're seeing that. In some ways, it makes this movie exciting because you're now hearing that as well with all of these sexual misconduct allegations. Maybe women should be more in charge. Maybe they are more responsible. This could be the most timely movie ever. The problem I'm having is I'm not liking any of these female characters. I wish that that I could get behind Holdo. I like Laura Dern. I think she had an awesome year this year. She's appeared in just about everything, and I know that she can lead Star Wars. She could be the new Leia, but the way it's played here, not convincing. And I certainly, yeah, Rose for me is just toxin. I just can't stand her. No, but the one thing I liked that I caught on my second viewing is Ryan Johnson tells us Holdo is right. Because when they evacuate those ships, I don't know how I thought they did it. Maybe they beamed over in Star Trek. Maybe they docked. I don't know. 
But you see they use those little unshielded, no weapons transports. And the Empire does nothing. They don't target them. They target the big ships. What Holdo's going to say later on is the Empire isn't going to target these. They're only focused on our cruiser. We're going to be able to escape. And Poe's like, oh no, 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 no. We're getting on something with no shields and no weapons. We're all going to die. I like movies where both people think they're right and there's still conflict. Because I don't know which one's right, but I know Poe, and unlike you guys, I like Oscar Isaacs a lot in this movie. I wished there was more of him in the last one. He's my favorite character of the new trilogy now after this movie. He has an arc here, and he has to get it hammered into his head again and again, though. Fighting isn't always the right way, but he does stage a mutiny, and I think he's in the right to do it. Yeah, I mean, this is a an interesting challenge. I mean, I think years from now, we'll be talking about this as being the real conflict of here's a man who believes you can only lead with guns, right? With weapons, by shooting, by taking those risks and risking everyone's lives to shoot something down. And he's being told to stand down by someone that is his superior. He has no right to do this. And he's going to mutiny. He's actually going to turn on her. That is a shock that we get this whole mutiny subplot, which is interesting. If you're trying to tell me that things are no longer black and white, light and dark side, to see this conflict with the rebels, to me that's interesting drama. Especially when the drama that's been going on is a super slow car chase. Seriously, I understand Huck saying to Kylo Ren, bring your fighter back. We can't cover you out there. Yeah, I don't understand why the TIE fighters can't go out there and yeah. just shoot it down. They have never shown care for TIE fighter pilots' lives before. <laughs> and there's like eight ships, okay? Eight ships. Imagine a convoy of trucks slowly following an SUV. That's this movie. And waiting for the SUV to run out of gas. <laughs> Couldn't one of those ships, like, plot a hyperspace jump or something and cut them off? There are so many things things they could do yeah we see like a medical frigate get blown up when it runs out of gas i thought they killed leia because she was in <laughs> medical i'm like did they just kill leia off screen laura dern's ultimately going to sacrifice herself in a pretty cool scene could they have done that with the remaining fuel cells of that medical frigate whatever i guess this is how they decided to tell the story i do like when leia returns she's been in a coma most of this movie but yeah with his mutiny poe has locked himself in the control room that door blows open and it's leia that walks that's why you don't kill Carrie Fisher. If the new character, Laura Dern, shot Poe, you would think that she had overstepped her bounds and she had been awful and she doesn't understand how Star Wars works. That it's going to be Princess Leia that makes the determinant. You're acting out. You're going down. It makes the chain of command crystal clear. And she's dressed in white and using the exact same gun she had in the first movie. It really is a callback to when she stunned those stormtroopers. Yeah, because this is a mutiny with rebels, they don't want to shoot each other. So yeah, you see those circle like rays coming out, which means stun. And again, I think Kathleen Kennedy is watching these scenes and going, yes, that's why I fired them. They weren't <laughs> doing what I said. It's interesting to me that the next movie is going to be a Han Solo movie. I mean, all the movies that have been done since Disney bought Lucasfilm have been very female centric. You're right. I don't have a problem with that. I wish I liked them more. Laura Dern is always a problem for me. Yeah, the problem is I don't really like these characters. The script, the movie, it doesn't give me a reason to. And again, my wife, who doesn't have a whole lot invested in this, she's like, oh, I loved Rose and I loved all these characters. It just sucks that they didn't give them anything to do. She's like, they ended up being boring characters. I wish they were in a better movie. Here's the problem. The one female character that I'm really behind is Leia. 
And unfortunately, unless they're going to do some CGI magic work, this is the end of her story. This is another opportunity where, okay, someone's got to stay on the big ship and sacrifice their life. They had to think, maybe we just say that Leia did it. But you know what? A lot of people had a problem with the last movie, though, that they killed Han Solo, and we never got a Han-Luke-Leia scene. If you'd killed Carrie Fisher's character here, then you wouldn't have had the reunion with Luke. And they couldn't film it post-mortem because if they were writing it, maybe they'd have written because Luke and Leia have a forced communication. Luke opens that little door and Leia, while unconscious, starts to wake up because he reaches out in the force and says, Luke, they could have chosen to do it that way if they were planning to kill Leia this movie. I think their plan was kill off one of the original three each movie till nothing's left. And that next movie was Leia's turn. And now... Yes, it's just so sad for so many reasons, but certainly for the story that they seem to be wanting to tell, that they cannot go forward with actress Carrie Fisher, who is clearly at this point having the most seniority of any character in this universe. She is the one I am going to listen to most. And that's why they keep her alive. They say that they need her. She is the beacon of hope. That is why other rebels are going to come to their aid because of Princess Leia. I mean, we got that scene in Rogue One, hope. This is a newer hope. It's not Luke this time. It's Princess Leia is the one that the rebels will rally around. So she has to live. She has to make it to that planet. So other star systems will come to their aid, supposedly. Does that mean Laura Dern has to die, though? I mean, later we're going to see Finn try to kill himself and the female whip in and say, no, we absolutely don't die for principles. We save what we love. We don't kill out of hate. We save out of love. Oh, I hate that. But Leia clearly knows what... What Holdo is doing here and lets her say, may the force be with you and destroy herself, killing the destroyer. I don't think that was ever the plot. The plot was somebody has to stay on board these ships so that they still look piloted. And so the Imperials don't realize, do they use evacuation pods? And they can't see hundreds of little pods coming off? They're too far away for visual. They say something about cloaking devices. Well, DJ says something about cloaking, but I think in this case, what we're told is they're only scanning for big ships. They're not scanning for little ships. It's convenient. I don't like any of the tech in this movie. I don't like that they can track through hyperspace just because. I don't like that they don't see transports just because. I do like, I think it's a fun scene when DJ and Finn and Rose get on the Star Destroyer and steal the outfits. You see this giant thing coming down and I'm like, is that a ship in the shape of an iron? No, it's actually an iron that is ironing the Imperial outfits. Uh, I thought that same thing. I'm like, oh, that's because Lucas supposedly did that. Like, here's a hamburger. I'm going to, I like hamburgers. So I'm going to make the Millennium Falcon look like that. He would look at things around him. So I thought that was a nod to that and that it turns out to be an ironing robot. Ugh. I thought of Hardware Wars where one ship <laughs> was an iron and another ship was a toaster and all of that and R2-D2 was a vacuum. I really just thought back to that when I saw this iron ship come in, but they steal the outfits and of course Finn would know where the dry cleaner is on the ship and they're going through, they put a trash can on BB-8 and BB-8 decides to pretend he's a mouse droid to go burr, 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 burr. That put a big smile on my face. Evil BB-9E is the one who catches it because there's a garbage can rolling around. Uh, that has to be cutscenes, right? BB-8 is really not in this movie. At some point he appears in an ad at shooting, but they had to give him a whole thing with this evil BB-8 that just doesn't end up being much here. Yeah, wasn't that a story in the Clone Wars cartoon? They had like 
R2 versus an evil R2. Like, they literally have, like, a whole fight scene. I was waiting for that to happen. Yeah, and I just don't know what you get out of dragging Captain Phasma out of the trash either. (laughs) I forgot she hadn't shown up yet. And I know they were talking about her being in this movie. She was in the trailers. And Phasma fans were like, will she get to take off her mask this time? Will she be shown to be a badass this time? Because really, in the last movie, she was all hype and nothing else. And got thrown down the garbage chute without doing anything cool. Here, Ryan Johnson is going to take out some characters I don't think he liked JJ creating. And this is one (laughs) of them. I have one fundamental question, though. We see Phasma get shot, and she's just like, and my armor's cool. Why doesn't every trooper get that armor? (laughs) Why does only one person get that armor and all the other troops go down? Maybe it's adamantium. It's super hard to find. They could only make one outfit out of it. I mean, again, Marvel and Star Wars and X-Men now, they could all come together. Yep, they own adamantium now. (laughs) Or maybe it's hasty and smelt or whatever that magical talisman is made out of that allows Benicio to pick the lock to get them caught. My problem is we're going to monologue. We could just shoot you guys, but no, quick death is too good so we're gonna take our time to get some electricity axes (laughs) to cut off your head to give laura dern time to crash the ship into theirs and there's some cameos in here though nobody has been able to say exactly what scenes but tom hardy is one of the stormtroopers involved in the capture i heard tom hardy was supposed to be in this okay so he just put on a helmet and then a brit pop star gary barlow is another one i'm gonna make a guess because the only cameo that i heard about ahead of time was that Prince Harry and Prince William were showing up as stormtroopers at some point. Are they the ones that put the manacles on Ray? They're on the cutting room floor is what I understand. Ah. And it's possible Hardy and Barlow are also on the cutting room floor because I guess they filmed their scene together. But according to John Boyega, he had to be the one to break the news to the princes that <laughs> you're not in the movie. <laughs> I said, you're the Brit, you do it. <laughs> but people are still saying Hardy and Barlow were a couple of the troopers. I like to think they were the execution troopers who came up with the little stun poles. There's not a lot of monologuing. Really, the monologuing is with DJ again. And I do like that bit where he's like, they blow you up today, you blow them up tomorrow. It's all business. Yeah, and I guess DJ died or did he fly away? I don't even know what happened to his character. Here's where I take it to mean that they're asserting the values that there is good and bad. Because he was the character that was Shades of Grey and he ends up, I think, dying is them saying that, no, you have to pick a side. There is no living in the grey. Luke will have to pick the good side. Everyone will have to say, I'm good force or bad force. Anyone that wants to see the world in any shade in between is wrong and will die for it, being so treacherous. I thought he lived. I thought he got out of there before the ship exploded and that really it didn't hurt them at all. I mean, when Laura Dern decides to crash her ship into the fleet, I think, yes, why didn't the other ships think of that? But I think it was a last minute thing when DJ gives up, hey, they're using transports and if you let me live, I'll give you that info. That's what motivates her to turn around and sacrifice herself. It was to save those escape pods that were getting shot down. She was literally dead anyway. She was a sitting duck at that moment. But she turns around and when she goes through that ship, I'm like, holy crap. They just killed Finn, Rose, Ray, Kylo. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's groan-inducing that they're the only ones not dead in the hangar. That's, come on. I think BB-8's a Force user. I think he's the last <laughs> Jedi. I mean, he's piloting an ATST in this. He's doing way too much. I like you, BB-8. I don't like you anymore, though. It's too much. I thought it was cute to see him piloting an ATST. I like the Finn Phasma fight because they've had that rivalry since the last movie. And, and come on, Phasma's not dead for sure, right? Oh, I think she's gone. I think. Oh, I think they could bring her back. You could, but. JJ's coming back. If he wants to use her, he will. Here's what Marjorie said is they brought Darth Maul back with mecha legs. Maybe they can bring Gwendolyn Christie back with some other parts. I think, though, Ryan Johnson's intent was she's dead. Yeah, that might be his intent, but there's no guarantee of that. And I'm also going to say there's no guarantee that the answer we're given about Ray's parentage, as much as it works for what they do for the characters in this moment, I don't think that that's any guarantee that that will hold true. She could ultimately have magic parents. She could ultimately have whatever parents the next writer decides they're going to have. But for this story and for Ryan Johnson being able to flip the script on the Empire moment of Luke, I'm your father, to find out that Ray's parents aren't important, that they aren't Han, they aren't Luke, they aren't anybody, is his attempt at irony. This is really weird to me because I thought I was watching Empire, right? <laughs> no, it turns into Return of the Jedi here. It does. All of a sudden, we're in Return of the Jedi. I'm like, wow, we're getting two movies for the price of one. That explains why it's so long. And what I like about what Ryan Johnson does that I think he just does better than J.J. is he's subtler. He does echoes of scenes, whereas J.J., did exact repeats of scenes. So when we have Kylo Ren and Rey in that elevator going up to see Snoke and Snoke in that throne and they actually play the Emperor's music from Return of the Jedi, it's echoes back to that, but it's not a direct rip the way I felt J.J. did. I'm really into this. And here's my belief. I think I'm with you guys. I really thought Rey might turn. This movie's taken risks. I thought it might go there. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for Kylo to go reunite with his mom and Rey to be the bad guy. I mean, we see this confrontation with Snoke. This is maddening because I'm waiting for him to reveal something about himself. Is this a clone of the Emperor? Why is his face all messed up? Why does he know the dark side of the Force? I mean, we see him use Force lightning. Why would anyone follow him? Why does he have any fans at all? You see that gold robe? That's straight pimping. I had all those questions too. And you know what? It doesn't matter. I like this. Throw away the mystery box because the mystery box sucks. The mystery box is all tease and no taste. I like that Ryan Johnson is going to come in here and say, you know what? Let somebody write a comic book if you really give a shit. Here, we're taking him out. Okay, I'm surprised you're saying that because if they did this with Darth Vader, if they did this with the Emperor, like where I had no idea, like even that original trilogy, I get a sense of who the Emperor is. He's the one pulling the string. Here, I don't know anything about Snoke. He is here to show up as a hologram and then get cut in half. That's JJ's fault. I blame JJ. He did that. No, you can't blame JJ when Ryan Johnson comes along and does the same thing. This is exactly a JJ move that is happening here. This is exactly what JJ would have done if he was directing this movie. This is exactly Into the Darkness, except we can guess this twist coming a mile away. If Kylo Ren made the choice not to kill his mother in Act 1, we know that the guy that's yelling at him that you're no Vader is going to go down. He's already made that choice and that they labor this thing so ridiculously that you have to kill Ray. Come on. No, kill your true enemy. I like, I mean, yes, there's certain things here that are no surprise, but 
I like how this goes. I like that Snoke's just like, what? It's a total waste of Andy Serkis. This cannot have been the reason you hire Andy Serkis. They could have just been someone in prosthetics. Why does this need to be a CGI character? I don't care. I mean, I guess you could take Arnie's position that it was bad, so thank God it's gone from future movies. Maybe. Yeah, you say I wouldn't like this with Vader and the Emperor, Jacob, but those were well-written characters when they were first introduced. JJ gave us crap. Uh, Vader is a very flat character in that original A New Hope. You don't know a whole lot about him, except he's the bad guy. They made him a better character in the sequel. And I never had much love for the Emperor. I always thought it was a Seventh Seal grift going on there. Here, Snoke just had a dumb name. He had every disadvantage going against him, (laughs) and there was no even three-movie prequel to explain how he amassed his power. But thank God he's dead. Yes. And here comes the best sell of the entire movie. The only person that makes any sense to me at all is Adam Driver saying, why don't we get rid of everything in the past and just form a new order? Yes, absolutely. Ray should join him in this moment. There is no reason not to. I love it because it is a good turn to the dark side. We've seen him have the conflict, and I always felt Anakin's turn to the dark side was a little bit too easy. Like, hey, I just threw Mace Windu out a window. Let me go kill babies now. Here, I think this is actually what we would have seen if Return of the Jedi had gone the other way. The fact that Rey thinks he's come to the good side, but in fact, it's always been Lucas's vision that the Sith are like cheating spouses and they kill their master as soon as they find a new apprentice. And Kylo Ren thinks he has one in Rey. I don't think this is turning to the dark side. I'm just going to argue it's the correct choice. The only thing that he's advocating they do that I wouldn't do is to kill the rebellion. But you stop them. They have very small numbers. They can't do anything to you. You isolate them to some planet and say, this is your prison. And you build a new universe out of all the pieces and you leave the old behind. That's what, when you look at creations of civilizations, exactly what happens. This is not a bad guy coming to power. This is a smart guy consolidating power. I agree, Stuart, that to see him the gray way, I'll just put it that way, you have light, dark, and this is all about those things merging, see him trying to forge another thing. I think the problem is he uses the word a new order, we got the first order, Mm -hmm. it's bringing up bad thoughts. And you say new order, that is a phrase that Anakin used in Revenge of the Sith, and Obi-Wan's like, your new order? But if we could have seen him trying to do the right thing, and maybe he fails at it, and that's why Ray turns against him. If we didn't have two hours of a really slow chase, we could have actually developed characters and told interesting stories with them. We're not going to get any of that here, but I thought that would be an interesting way to go. Have these two team up by the end of it. Speaking of phrases, Star Wars phrases, they never say, I got a bad feeling about this in this movie, do they? Ryan Johnson came out and said that BB-8's first series of beeps is supposed to mean, I got a bad feeling about that, I think he might be retconning just to appease fans, but I also never heard a Wilhelm scream, which I've heard in every other film. Wow, Ryan Johnson really is burning it down. I think that ultimately we are to accept that anyone that finds compromise, anyone that wants to blend light and dark, is the real enemy. That's the takeaway here. And that's what I don't like about the messaging here, is that people like Benicio Del Toro and Adam Driver are wrong to try and forge a new way that ultimately you don't kill the past. Ultimately, you keep falling back to white hat, black hat thinking, and there are good guys and bad guys, and you pick a side. But to go back to social commentary, I'll try to say this as apolitically as possible, but don't you think that Ryan Johnson and Kathleen Kennedy may be encapsulating how leftists feel right now with Trump in power and that they feel their numbers are dwindling and that they're 
huddling together just for survival, but they hope that the spark of liberalism will rise again. Don't you think that's kind of the message here? I certainly think that in this day and age, many people can read this as something anti-Trump. Every age in the movies that it makes, we reflect on the powers that be at that time. And Lord of the Rings is a perfect case where people looked at that as the Iraq War and Bush and what have you. Maybe when we see this full trilogy unfold, we'll be able to say that this is an encapsulation of the Trump era. I'm not looking at it at that right now because partly this movie was in production before anyone thought he would actually get power. But yes, you're right. That could be a reading that they have as they finessed the movie, as they edited the movie, as they thought about what they had made, what they were trying to convey. And you have Trump saying things like both sides when you're talking about Nazis. Okay, I get it. But there are nuances. And the fact that Luke has rejected the light side. He doesn't want Jedi. It feels like, oh, the answer is some kind of middle path. The fact that this movie's going to end up saying, no, there really is just a light and dark side feels like a betrayal of all that time we spent with Luke. Everything they're trying to say in this film, find the nuance. No, ultimately don't find the nuance. Just go with whatever side you're on. Admittedly, Yoda's like, burn it all down. Yet those books are on the Millennium Falcon. And it's when I saw it the second time, I did catch Yoda's line. Nothing in there that young Ray does not already possess. Meaning, he, I don't know, did Yoda steal the books? I don't know who <laughs> stole the books. Maybe Ray stole the books. Luke never even read the damn manual. I never remember any books in Empire Strikes Back, but <laughs> we didn't see the whole training. Well, because they didn't go to this island. Yes, I, clearly that's the case. But we did go to an ice planet in Empire Strikes Back, and this is where I'm really getting a taste of J.J. Trek into darkness. I mean, let's make it the end of the movie, the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. I was ready for this movie to be over. You have the Rebels get away. They're safe in this armor thing. Roll credits. We saw Snoke die. We saw Rey reject the dark side. Roll credits. I'm done. I'm ready to walk out that theater. Oh, no, no. We got to do the beginning of Empire Strikes Back now. Seriously, I was waiting for credits to roll because how do almost every Star Wars movie end is with a multi-tiered battle where you're cutting back and forth between heroes. And here we had... Finn versus Phasma on the Star Destroyer, cutting to Rey and Kylo Ren with Snoke, and then their fight with the Praetorian Guards, which I I, I love that. Yes. I will say that that, of all the action, is the only one that got me. I thought that room looked cool. I thought those people had cool moves, and their sabers, like, would bend and things. They had cool weapons. Everything about that fight was awesome. Yeah, how they go back to back, and it starts in slow-mo. When Kylo Ren grabs his saber, I thought he and Rey were going to go at each other. The fact that they're instantly on each other's side, fighting against these guards, and we actually get to see the Red Guards do something finally. Yeah, I do feel like this is Ryan Johnson. Hey, remember those Red Guards and Return of the Jedi that do nothing? I'm going to fix that. Yeah, and I loved, loved that fight. But we're cutting to the transports trying to get away. We're cutting to BB-8. We have this multi-pronged thing, including a lightsaber duel. I'm waiting for the credits to roll. And the movie keeps going, and I'm like, wait, I'm kind of exhausted. You gave me the climax of the film. I'm tired. I was thinking, you know, I remember there being some ad ads in the trailer. I guess they were going to cut that whole scene because the movie's over. Yeah, there's a stream of red. The one thing I remembered from the trailer is they're flying low and this beautiful plume of red smoke going behind them on an ice planet. I had forgotten I'd seen that, 
But yes, that is the real climax here. Climax part two is that they get down to fake off. What's it called? Crate. But not like the crate dragon. It's crate with a C. Crate dragon is crate with a K and a Y. And it's not snow, guys. It's totally different. It's salt, which I do feel like is a joke. And there are a lot of cameos in here. Edgar Wright and his brother are in here. Gareth Edwards is in here. There's a lot of cameos in these rebel ranks. And also, Billy Lord, who is Carrie Fisher's daughter, is one of the most prominent nameless rebels. Yeah, I didn't realize until afterwards, but Carrie Fisher's daughter is the one in the Leia braids. They're now more like Bjork braids, but she's the one carrying on the hairdo tradition. But the fight really ultimately comes down to Luke. The rebels will realize they have to run away, and Finn will be told, don't kill yourself by flying into a cannon. I really thought he might. Honestly, the way this movie was going, the fact that they killed Snoke, I'm like, they could kill one of their new three. And I thought that they might have died on the Star Destroyer, and then they were down there, and I'm like, (laughs) okay, a heroic sacrifice, not just a, oh shit, he's dead. And Johnson lies to me. This is an overt manipulation that I'm mad about, is the music switch. Yes. The scene slows. His eyes close. His guns <laughs> melt. We're ready for him to die. We're all pumped and ready to get emotional because he was a good character last time. And no, Rose comes in and ruins everything. Yeah. I went into this movie knowing spoilers, and I totally expected him to die here. Right? Even <laughs> though I didn't read that, I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. We're going to see some weight to this Star Wars film. We're going to kill a main character. I don't want Finn to die. I like Finn. Yeah. But that would have given it some weight. I mean, you kill Laura Dern. She's been on the screen for 15 minutes. I like her, but she doesn't really mean anything in this Star Wars universe at this point. Yeah, that's my disconnect, is that they already did this and said it was okay for Laura Dern to do this. This just looks like we want to deny the men having the same moves. I think it's powerfully feminist. The idea that we're going to insert right here that dying heroically is not the way to do it. That protecting your own, protecting what you love, feels uniquely matronly and female and a new way to think about battle. And I think in that respect, it's really cool. I have a problem because it seems hypocritical thanks to Laura Dern, and I just absolutely hate the character that's teaching the lesson here. Rose coming in and almost dying herself by knocking him out of the way feels stupid. Yes, for that lesson to have power, we have to see it pay off. They didn't know Ray was going to show up. They didn't know Ray was going to be able to move all those rocks so they could get out of the caverns. They would have all died because of Rose. Yes, exactly. So for that decision to have power and to be this powerful feminist statement, we had to see that there was an end plan for her that they would have been successful with. And also, Rose kissing Finn... Finn can do so much better. I mean, Finn and Ray, I I like, and I caught it the second time, there's lines. When Finn wakes up from his medical problems that he got from the lightsaber in the last movie, his first words are, where's Ray? Now, I did wonder if that was a call out by Ryan Johnson to the hashtag that was going around. You remember that, Jacob? Where's <laughs> yes, Ray? because she wasn't in the Monopoly game. Yeah, people were complaining because Ray didn't have a token in Monopoly, and they claimed no Ray figures were made. Listen, I was there day one. Ray figures were made. You just couldn't find them on shelves because they sold out. But it created this whole Where's Ray Lucasfilm hates women movement, which is obviously not true. But I wondered if Where's Ray was a call out to that. But his first care is Ray. Leia has that tracker when she gets in a coma. He picks up that tracker. He then gives it to Poe. Take care of Ray. When he's escaping, he's not escaping because he's a coward. He's escaping because he doesn't want Ray to come to her death. He cares for Ray. And Ray 
when she goes off to the Star Destroyer, tells Chewie and R2, tell Finn that I'm okay. Talk to Finn. See how Finn is doing. They care about each other even if they don't share a scene. So for Rose to kiss Finn, I'm like, what? Not only that, but she creeps me out because she had loved him before she met him. She's a fangirl. She loves the legend. She doesn't know him. I don't see that they really got to know each other on this adventure. I saw her lecturing him and taking control of the situation and then at the end using him like a trophy. So maybe that's just revenge for all of the times that women have been used as trophies for men in movies like this. But it doesn't feel wonderful to see the shoe on the other foot. It just feels just as dissatisfying. I thought she got over the hero worship when they're on the Star Destroyer. Finn goes, I know where the closest escape pod is. And she goes, of course you do. It seemed like she loathed him and thought him a coward and was so let down. Yeah, she was still bitter over that at the end of the film. (laughs) This is her move. This is what they give her to do at the end. Everyone else is going to follow some crystallized wolves out the back door. And it's really now for Luke to come in, as it should be. The second favorite character in this movie is Luke. I haven't liked all of his wishy-washiness, mostly because it felt like he kept saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't train Kylo. I can't train Rey. I can't leave the island. He was back to that whiny Luke on Tatooine from the first film. But did you guys know it was a Force hologram? Because when he walks in, my immediate thought is, He got some just-for-men beard. But then I realized, wait, he didn't stop and get a haircut on the way there. This is a hologram. And the only thing that made me question that is that more than Leia could see him. But when it seems like just him and Leia and time has stopped, I thought it was more Force-Skyping. I not only did not see it was a hologram, even after he got stuck through, I'm just like, no, he's just so powerful. Lightsabers can't hurt him anymore. Until they (laughs) cut to Yoga Mountain and him sitting there, I did not know. Oh, there's even a shot of his foot not moving the salt. Yeah, I did notice that it was the younger Mark Hamill that we saw in the flashbacks to when he confronted Kylo Ren and pulled out the lightsaber. I mean, I knew the spoiler going in, but if you're paying attention, he looks different than he did on the island. I have no doubt. And it is kind of cool in a samurai way to see him stare down the AT-ATs. The best legit laugh is when he brushes his shoulder off after (laughs) all those AT-ATs fire on him. I loved that he brushed off his shoulder, but apparently a lot of people are mad, including my wife, because why there's some football dance you do when a touchdown that you start with that and then you start dabbing or something. It makes me think of JZ, dirt on your shoulder, but it's a rap move. It's a hip hop move. I mean, that's an old trope. It's in so many kung fu movies where you like, someone does this kick-ass move and you block and you kind of like just brush your shoulders and say, come on, bring it. I love... <laughs> that Kylo Ren is really ineffective. Hux is there and he's panicking because Supreme Leader is dead and you know they pull out that old line when Ren is force choking him. The Supreme Leader is dead. Long live the Supreme Leader. But Kylo Ren is of one mind. He's like Send all fighters after that Falcon. Yeah. So every single TIE fighter's gone. And then he's like, fire all guns at those speeders coming at us. And then fire all guns at that man. You got a lot of guns. Could you fire a few at the other rebels? Yeah, I'd hate to see his stock portfolio. Put it all in Bitcoin, whatever the hottest <laughs> thing is at the time. You got to divert. Porgs. Everything in Porgs. <laughs> watching this, I'm hoping for a twist because I'm thinking, okay, this is the Empire Strikes Back movie. Where's the big twist? 
It's called The Last Jedi. This is just my fan fiction. I think there's a lot of fan fiction in this film. Here's my fan fiction version of the end of this movie. Luke dies facing off against Kylo Ren. And you do have another Jedi. There is a Jedi. It's not Rey. It is Leia. You gave us Chekhov's force use at the beginning of this film to like see her pick up a saber or something. I just think that would have been a cool moment. I get it. I don't know how that would pay off in future films. I don't know that Carrie Fisher has passed. But I was just hoping for something that would surprise me in this film. Well, I was surprised by the reveal. And I don't know how to take it. Was he baiting Kylo to kill him because it meant that he'll be a ghost on his shoulder? That the next movie, I think that we're going to see Mark Hamill. I think he's going to be popping up tormenting this fake Vader (laughs) the whole time. And so I think by Kylo striking him down, it's only doomed him to this taunting. But he doesn't strike him down. Luke was going to die no matter what Kylo did. Kylo could have been like, okay, I won't strike you down. And Luke still dies. Yeah, does doing a force projection like this put so much strain on your heart? You go into cardiac arrest and die? I don't understand why he just disappears unless he just gives up and joins the ghostly force. I don't know why this ends up as a sacrifice, especially when we're told you don't die for what you hate, you save what you love. Yeah, it's a lot of conflicting messages that as I'm trying to figure out, usually it's helpful to see a lot of different scenarios and people coming to the same idea. Maybe they respond to it differently, but seeing a theme form by the way that they're all challenged. And here, sometimes I'm hearing it's great when you sacrifice yourself and other times, no, the feminist way is better. Protect your children, protect the ones you love. I don't even know if he's learned anything. It was said that Luke wanted to die. He's achieved that. But I guess it's a peaceful death and not a tormented death. I'm glad that Luke was a Force hologram, though, because he does some Matrix moves. I thought they were really ripping off the Matrix. Oh, yeah, that Matrix move. (laughs) Oh, that upset me. Yeah, I don't know why he's bothering to dodge like he's in the Matrix, given that he's not really there. But he does keep that lightsaber going. And... The movie's telling us in every way that he's not physically there. Not only can he resist all those laser blasts, but again, Kylo Ren, single-minded. Hey, everybody just stand back there while I do this. Not let's bring some TIE fighters in, not let's do this other thing. It's just everybody watch while I go fight a hologram and... I guess Luke died because everyone could see him because 3PO could see him. That was the first time I knew everyone could see him. I thought it was just him and Leia. And then 3PO goes, Master Luke. And Luke just winks. And then obviously the First Order can see him. What's crazy is he makes hologram dice from the Falcon that are going to disappear later. Yeah, he picked up those dice from the first film, those gold dice, and gave them to Leia. And she just throws them on the ground, I guess, to evacuate. I know, it's so (laughs) weird or did he make another peer show up to remind kylo of his dad yeah for me if ryan johnson really wants to burn everything down this is such a sentimental death scene with luke they're gonna do twin sons they're gonna play that same music cue that was playing when young luke on tatooine was looking at the twin sons they're really gonna go for that moment here This death is just as convenient as Yoda's in Return of the Jedi, right? Like, we're done with Luke as a character, so let's just have him die now? Much more emotional with Yoda. This just feels like, oh, we're done here. Let's go. Yoda gave cool speeches. That original trilogy had a lot of emotion and feeling, and I don't feel it now. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe you feel that as a kid with Star Wars. I'm not feeling it, but I feel this film fails when it tries to hit those emotional beats. I felt that with JJ when he tried to make us cry when Han died. Nothing really died. 
dies. Somebody said that at some point. I don't even remember. But <laughs> no one's really gone is what Luke says to Leia. Okay, there it is. But yeah, that was the sentiment, which is fine. But dramatically, that's very unsatisfying. That just means that now we have characters that can do anything at any given time. And that Ray can just show up at the right moment and do everything that's needed. That Rose can just figure it all out. And I just don't see a lot of learning. I was so worried that they burned the books. I thought they were sending that message. We don't need to know <laughs> anything to run this universe. This whole escape, we followed the Falcon. Somehow Ray got back to the Falcon. I mean, it dropped her off in a space coffin. And yet when the ship's exploding, we never see it. Maybe it's on the cutting room floor. But Ray gets back to the Falcon. They've got Porgs nesting in there. Chewie's doing some moves. We get the Porg on board, like the Garfield with the suction cups. The Porg hits the window. And they're going to do a direct callback to Empire again. Chewie's going to fly through a cavern sideways, just like Han did in Empire. And this is all at the end of the movie. I'm ready for it to be done. And now, what, we're going to get a space slug scene too? Well, yeah, why not throw that in? <laughs> but... They land near the back because they're following that tracker. Leia took it away from Poe. Poe did not deserve the tracker. So Leia takes it back and they track them to this back door where the, they call them the crystal critters are getting out. And Ray, Luke said he'd give her three lessons. I think she could have stayed for lesson three. I really wanted to know what lesson three was going to be, but. <laughs> the first two weren't that great. <laughs> no, again, watch Lion King. You got it. The first one, she learned how to lift rocks like Superman about to take off, like little pebbles were rising. But somehow, she's now able to lift every rock at once, not one at a time, but every rock at once. And just, I'm going to show off my power. It's like a David Copperfield act. Look at my floating rocks. This is Ray's character, and I didn't mind in the last one because... There was mystery there, and now it's just, oh no, she really just is that powerful because. <laughs> and I minded it last time that she was just that powerful because, and this time I'm like, you know, at least they show her training with the staff so I can get her lightsaber bit. At least she went to Luke and trained with him a bit. She went into that dark cave. She's had some time. Maybe it's only a week, but she's had some time to learn the Force. <laughs> she Wikipedia'd it. <laughs> That last movie, though, was The Force Awakens, so I'm like, okay, this is about the Force becoming a character and making its will known, not just people manipulating it. But here, that doesn't seem to pay off. It is just, oh, she can really manipulate the Force. No, it does pay off, though. I like that, because you know what? I never questioned what The Force Awakens means. I actually felt like, hey, it's been 10 years. Here's a new movie, and The Force is back through light side and dark side. But what I like in this movie is Ray says to Luke, something awakened inside me. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to control it. And now I'm like, okay, that's what the Force Awakens is. Is it awakened in her? That's why she has the powers. I said when we reviewed episode seven that episode eight could retcon things to make episode seven better. And in this case, with the Force Awakening, I think it did. But Luke says also you have raw, what, untamed power. I've only seen that once before. If that is the case with Rey, I wanted more temptation to the dark side. See her join Kylo, thinking they're doing a good thing with the New Order. Seeing her being consumed by the Force and not knowing where it takes her. By the end of this, she's just another Luke Skywalker. She's just another Obi-Wan, just doing the right thing. And they have all that they need. I guess because Disney just... All 15 people of the Rebellion? 
I think what Leia means is that Ray and a bunch of kids in a horse stable are going to be the next generation is what it's going to be all about. That we're going to get even newer characters, younger characters, askewing to an audience that maybe is less persnickety about what you do to the classics. You know what I thought? This was a great ending for episode three. You know, because it feels like I don't know what the next movie is going to be. I knew what this movie was going to be at the end of episode seven. We have to explore more with Kylo Ren. We have to find out what Luke has been doing the whole time. I had expectations for this film, but here there's literally a dozen resistance members left on the Falcon. Ray has some sacred texts that are apparently dry as toast, and she's going to have to read those. And I'm like, 20 years from now, you'll have a good rebellion because they sent out a freaking distress signal and Leia says, use my code. People will come. Her name must not be worth dirt anymore because nobody comes to help them. So this feels like how episode three should have ended. Episode three ended with the birth of the children, but they never talked about the politics. They never talked about the rebellion. Lucas filmed it. He cut it all. This is how it should have ended is with the people saying the spark of hope, light the fire. And then we jump back 20 years later with A New Hope and find out what happened in those 20 years. Here, I can only see them picking up 20 years later, but are they going to artificially age all these actors? Yeah, I mean, even with the prequel trilogy, which I don't think is great storytelling, but you know where that story's going. And it's not that you need to know where the story's going. I just don't know what the purpose of this new trilogy is now. And I guess that could be exciting. They could do something really cool with this third film. But I just don't know what is the motivation here. You know, with the original, it's all about Luke and trying to redeem his father. The prequel trilogy about the downfall of Anakin. What is the crux of this new trilogy? I don't know. I don't think we're supposed to know. I think we're supposed to have hope. What they're hoping is that there is that spark of hope that we're still with this franchise as it goes forward. They have hope that a writer will be able to come up with that crux and tell us in the last film. I don't know if Disney knows. Again, Ryan Johnson wrote a treatment, which is usually fairly detailed when you're talking script treatments for episode nine. Will JJ choose to use it? That's on JJ, but I'm hoping that unlike from episode 7 to 8, some things here in 8 will pay off in 9 in ways that Johnson envisioned. But I'm left with a feeling of completion. Like, I walked out of Revenge of the Sith and I was sad because there were no more Star Wars movies coming, but yet the story had ended and I got it. Here, the story has ended for me. I do not feel a hunger. There's no cliffhanger. There's literally no mystery box where I feel I can't wait for the next one. Now you want the mystery box. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm actually complimenting this movie. I feel like I didn't get an installment. We've complained about how movie telling has turned into television. The worst offenders being things like Amazing Spider-Man 1, where everything's going to be answered next movie. Here, we got a movie. I walked away feeling like I saw a story, but it's certainly not a cliffhanger like Empire did. We got Empire and Jedi rolled into one, and when you walk away from Jedi, you feel pretty content. But are we content? Jacob Stewart is the four strong with The Last Jedi. Jacob. I did some research. I saw these 
fanboys freaking out about Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, you know what? It's always the fanboys. I'm so sick of them. They ruin Marvel. They ruin DC. Everyone just calm down and just enjoy a thing for what it is. But as I'm watching this, and again, I don't think I'm as hardcore as you, Arnie. I have a lot of problems with the prequels. I have a lot of problems with Lucas and his ability to tell a satisfying story. But I do love that original trilogy. And I love The Force Awakens. That number three for me. So I'm going into this. I'm open to new things. But the whole time, I am baffled by this film. I am baffled by the radical shifts in tone with the slapstick humor. I am baffled that the majority of this film is an extremely slow car chase. I can't believe that is the best idea they came up with. If you want to burn the Star Wars franchise down, burn it down in a good way where it's entertaining, not what they're doing here. I don't understand the decision making. And look, I've only seen this once. Maybe my opinion will change if I ever want to watch it again. But watching this film, Arnie, you're saying you feel like you got a complete story. I'm done. You're done with this new telling of Star Wars. I feel like this is a totally pointless episode. This is an episode of TV. This is the clip show. You don't need to see this. What do we learn here? What is the plot? You could have cut out this entire chase and just cut to the very end where, oh, they're shooting down our escape ships to this planet. Lord is going to turn around and sacrifice. Like, that could have been really within the first 20 minutes of this film and you could cut out the casino you could have cut out so much for me that is the problem with this there's a lot of storytelling problems a lot of tonal problems but for me it feels like this story doesn't matter i go back to attack of the clones the only star wars film that i haven't recommended of the you know that clone wars cartoon and those are fake ewoks yeah yeah. but for the saga for an episode in the star wars saga that was a weird detective story that feels like that could have been a side mission that's how this one feels to me ultimately i just wasn't that entertained i didn't find this story gripping i was let down that they didn't pay off themes of light versus dark moving to a grave ryan johnson wanted to burn things down but ultimately they put that fire out and save something from the ashes here that isn't that great so for me i don't think this episode's gonna matter you could jump into episode nine and don't need to worry about what happened here it has no effect on what we're gonna see i believe technically there's cool fight scenes there's all that so i'm gonna give it a week not recommend though because it doesn't matter ultimately Stuart. This is not the worst Star Wars, but outside of Phantom Menace, I do think that this is the worst direction job I've ever seen in a Star Wars movie. It's all, I'm putting it on Johnson, and and this crushes me. The man I had the most hope for. I like all three of his films. See Looper, see Brothers Bloom, see Brick. Don't see this movie. It is not well made. It is a very uncomfortable mix of pathos and humor that just drags and drags. We spend forever for Luke to get off the island. He actually never does leave the island, but he he sort of does. He projects off the island. You know, we just wait forever for something meaningful to happen, and it's just not fun to do it. I mean, the new characters, the ones I praise Force Awakens for, now are a real drag on this series. I mean, the only ones I enjoyed watching were Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, and I'm not sure how much the rest of the saga is going to be able to use them. Maybe Adam Driver. I mean, again, if you can get behind the idea that we don't have a badass villain in this new trilogy, 
but that we just have a flawed character trying to live up into the image of Vader. That's a fascinating idea, but I'm not sure how much they can play with that. Ultimately, you can say Disney made Johnson do this or that, but ultimately J.J. had those same directives and he made a lot more fun with Force Awakens. That Force Awakens is a fun ride. This movie is a slog and it crushes me. I like Ryan Johnson and I can't believe that I'm saying he's absolutely the wrong fit for this. Wow. I know this movie is polarizing among fans, but to me, this is my third favorite Star Wars film. It goes the original Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, The Last Jedi. Now, admittedly, I really feel like The Last Jedi, Revenge of the Sith, and Return of the Jedi are all kind of tied for third, but seeing this twice... The first time, I did feel exhausted by it. You said slog, and I'm just kind of responding to that. The first time, it did feel really long. When I saw it the second time, I was scared going in. It felt long the first time. I remember it really well. It's only been a day. It went by faster because I knew a little bit of what was coming, and it helped. And the whole movie ends about the spark of hope, right, that can light the fire. I walked into this movie hopeless. I did. I walked in thinking... Rogue One, unnecessary, The Force Awakens, redundant and not very original and just fan service. And I walked out with hope. The throwing away of the saber, the killing of Snoke, the course corrections. And you say that Adam Driver is playing a flawed badass, but I think this movie is his ascension. This is Kylo Ren's Revenge of the Sith. This is Kylo Ren going from conflicted to commanding. By the end of this movie, he is a force to be reckoned with, is my feeling. Adam Driver is an actor I really like. I didn't really pay attention to him before The Force Awakens, but now I've seen several movies with him in it. I think he's a really, really good actor, and I think that he can play a great villain here, and I think now he is set up and ready to do that. Does the movie have flaws? Absolutely, the movie has flaws. When I walk away and I think about the fact that it's the world's slowest chase and there had to be some other ways that the Empire could do it, that wasn't the entire First Order fleet there. Yeah, that's a problem. The fact that Finn and Rose, Rose is a problem on her own, but that Finn and Rose accomplish nothing, I still can't decide if that's a plus or a minus. <laughs> How could it be a plus? Because it's telling us, hey, you know all those silly plots you've seen in Star Wars movies? We're going to try to add a little bit of realism because you're demanding realism in Star yeah, Wars now? I, I, this is surprising. I'm I'm glad that you are finding that this is... Uh, we're seeing the same movie, but I don't find that enjoyable. I find it interesting that you could enjoy that it trivializes the storytelling. I feel Ryan Johnson was dealt a bad hand and came out. Yeah, I feel like you're kind of this because you don't like J.J. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of anti-J.J. At least he fixed what J.J. did. I would say if he fixed it, he ended things. What did he add? What do you see beyond Adam Driver that he brought to this? Porgs? What's the salvation? What's the hope to cling to? Well... I mean, what I like in this movie, first of all, Mark Hamill's performance. I saw that Disney is doing a four-year consideration Mark Hamill for actor. I don't think he deserves it, but I can see why they'd try it. He's great in this movie. I like the Luke arc here, that we find out what he did to Kylo Ren, that we find out Luke is flawed. Do you know George Lucas would never have done that? George Lucas would never have made Luke flawed. I mean, Luke was named after Lucas, after all. And to make Luke have that moment of 
weakness, that moment of failure, to see this movie be Luke's redemption, that pulled me in. I was pulled in by Luke's journey. To see Carrie Fisher give a good performance where I care about Leia again and actually care about her command and her hope of sparking this rebellion is tremendous. Poe Dameron's arc, by the end fight, he has learned because I think he's being groomed for command. I think Leia sees him as the next leader. There's the scene that's really, I don't believe it. Because right after the mutiny, Holdo says, that one's a troublemaker. I like him. No, you don't. You don't like him. He just tried to... She liked that ass. <laughs> but Leia says, me too. And I believe Leia likes him no matter what he does. They have a history. Holdo and Poe have no history. I think Poe's being groomed for command in this movie is him learning to lead. That at the end, he realizes it's a suicide mission and they won't win. He's evolved from the bombers at the beginning. It's an obvious arc, but it's one that I think works because I think Oscar Isaac sells his character extraordinarily well. And then the humor, yes, it's jarring. I'll use that word jarring. But that doesn't mean it's unfunny. Uh, it's jar-jarring at times. <laughs> it never, well, maybe the teats. But other than the teats and the green milk, I don't feel it ever jar-jars. I actually like porgs, and I thought they were perfectly used. I felt like porgs, again, were like salt. You could have overdone it and made this inedible. You could have left it out, and it wouldn't be as good. Here, I think it was perfectly spiced. I like a lot in this movie. I wish I could like Ray more. Now, I think she's better written. I feel like Daisy Ridley just isn't giving it the nuance needed. She does feel exceptionally one note. Rose, man, that's a thorn, really. <laughs> yeah, there's no upside to that. But I like Hux, the way he's come forward as a character. This movie satisfied me as a Star Wars fan. And I think when I hear a lot of people, a lot of my friends in the Star Wars community rebel against this film, one person said it to me. They said that they can't like this film because they feel this film's a big middle finger to George Lucas because they're throwing away what Lucas built and trying to build something new. I say what Lucas built was fun, but man, look at those prequels. I like them, but I don't love them. And that's been my argument. I want a middle finger to Lucas. Do something new. This is just bad execution. You did something new, but you did it really bad. And I wouldn't argue it's that new. The framework, the places that we hit, the notes that they sing are exactly the same notes as Empire and Return of the Jedi. It's just that there are nuances that change the meaning. The overriding feminist themes are going to challenge people, but they hit the same play sets. Yes, and that's why I don't feel it's as big a middle finger to George, because it doesn't feel like I walked off of Star Wars. It doesn't feel like I walked into the wrong theater and just a different sci-fi movie. It has the Star Wars feel. Williams' music is good here. Not great. There's no new theme that I could find. He'd had one for every previous movie. The best I could find was Rose's theme. But I think that this is a lot of people at their A-game. The spark of hope is lit in me for episode nine. I... Still a little nervous because J.J. returns. It's the return of J.J. Which I just want to say, you do like his movie. You gave it a recommend. Yes. So he can't be a killer. It's not the wet blanket. He delivers movies you've recommended. I liked more than I didn't like in The Force Awakens. But what I didn't like, I really didn't like. I'm hearing that, but Star Trek Into Darkness had problems. He has a proven track record of green arrows with you. 
barely on Into Darkness. <laughs> I had problems with Trek 09. Listen to that show. I, I'm actually really proud of that being our second retrospective series, and I point out the flaws he did there, because there's some real storytelling conveniences and a sweaty actionness to that movie. And now I feel he's gotten complacent, and mm, we'll see. You know what? I have hope. Let me tell you again some of my hope. First of all, Ryan Johnson filmed scenes for episode nine while doing eight. They got to be Carrie Fisher scenes. I'm wondering if they were Mark Hamill scenes, maybe, or I don't know. I'm thinking of a scene. What location would they have gone to that they don't want to take the crew back for? And so they're like, just shoot this scene now. But he shot some stuff and JJ has said, and I never thought I'd see the day. He made mistakes. He sees things with episode seven he could have done better. He heard fan feedback and realized he could do it better. Well, that's a good thing because Lucas never came to that realization after episode one. He put his head down and doubled down on that thing. That's exactly right. Or at least he would say he would. The fact yeah. that Jar Jar disappears. Yeah. There were course corrections. Yeah. But JJ says why he came back is he thinks he can do it better. And that makes me very happy. I still don't know about the kid with the broom. I still think that's a Fantasia moment. I mean, <laughs> that's all I could think of was Fantasia. Like, if you have the Force, why are you using a broom? Just use the Force to pick that stuff up. And I still think the Resistance ring is a product placement. <laughs> but beyond that, I had a good time at this film. And this is the best Christmas gift I could be given is a Star Wars film I really liked. I would hate to poo-poo on anyone that had a good time in this film. I put out a negative opinion knowing that some people don't want to hear that. But to me, this was a failure. If I had to rank this, I would rank it pretty low. Empire, Star Wars, A New Hope are obviously the two high. I'm going to go ahead and just change my order and say that I think Jedi should just be third because it completes the story. Yeah, there's sloppiness and mistakes, but there's something about those three that just feels unified and essential. You have to see those three. You can't stop with Empire. You have to see Jedi for all of the flaws. After that, you've got Force Awakens and Rogue One are both fine, completely incidental things. And then I'm actually going to put this underneath Revenge of the Sith. I think it's Sith, this, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace. Yeah, for me, Empire, A New Hope, those are the two best. And then I go Force Awakens. That still is number three for me. And then Jedi. I love that first half with Jabba. It's not even the first half. It's like the first half hour. And once you get to Endor, it kind of slows down. But I have a lot of affection for that movie. Just I remember going to see it in theaters as a kid. And then, yeah, Rogue One I'd watched before, Revenge of the Sith. And then Phantom Menace. And then this. I mean, look, Phantom Menace is a goofy kid's movie, but... This one, I just, I never want to watch it again. Wow. It just bored me. It bored me, which was the same problem with Attack of the Clones is, I was fooled by Attack of the Clones. They couldn't fool me this time. Attack of the Clones in theaters fooled me because it's got a really great last 20 minutes with a lot of action. But that detective story for the first hour and a half <laughs> is a slog. And I was not, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. So <laughs> I will, I'm not going to give this one a pass because I just, I never want to watch it again. Wow, I... Felt there might be contention here just because every single person I know has had some contention about this movie. So, oh, there has. Because, see, that's the weird thing is when I look online, almost universal acclaim, all the critics have felt for it. Is this acclaim really this high for this movie? Yeah, it's like 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, if that means anything to you. Critics do appear to love this film. Fans, is what I'm saying, is split. My friends are very split. It's either one of the best, which is how I felt, or one of the absolute worst, and 
yeah, I think it's a matter of honestly clinging to what Star Wars was or letting it try to go somewhere different. I think that's discounting, though, that there are story problems with this. Well, no, there are. <laughs> and that is my big problem with it is who the F cares about this chase for an hour and a half. A better director would make all of this work better. It's fine to take these ideas. It's another to make it entertaining all the way through. This movie most certainly is an entertaining start to finish. I'm trying to think if I felt lags the second time I watched Ooh. it. I think I felt some lags during some of the Holdo stuff. I felt like some of that went on a bit long and definitely Canto Bite. Yeah, the casino. That doesn't need to be in the film. Yeah, mostly... I was pretty good with the pacing of it. I probably still could use 20 minutes cut out, though. My big problem, though, is I don't feel they've moved far enough away from Star Wars. Because one thing that I just don't feel is Star Wars has proven itself it can be a marvel. Marvel, every Marvel movie feels different. You can have a Captain America movie that's a political thriller and then go to Ant-Man that's a comedy and go to Guardians that's a Star Wars film and have all this different feeling. But with Star Wars, all they've given us, including with Rogue One, is Rebel versus Empire. I think they really are in danger of Star Wars fatigue if they put out a movie a year without variance. I think that the episodes coming every other year makes them a little bit less special. I look at the Avengers. If the episode films are supposed to be to Star Wars what the Avengers films are to Marvel, they space them out a few years, and when they come together, they really feel like a family reunion. It's like coming together at Thanksgiving. And each individual film is still fun and unique and off doing its own thing. I don't feel that Star Wars has done that, and I gotta be honest, I can't say from where, but I've seen some leaked stuff, and I've shown it to you guys. Solo looks bad. You already lost me when you said the guys who made Lego Movie were behind it. I, that was a creative <laughs> vision that I felt was entirely too snarky and silly. And I guess Han Solo is the character to do that. If you're going to take the Star Wars property and say it's like Marvel and, and have different influences, different moods, different colors to it, Han Solo movies should be more snarky, more jokey, more fun, and that's a way to go about it. But yeah, they were disconcertingly frivolous. It looked cheap and weird, but I don't like to judge too much based on trailers and photos. I look at the creative talent. Ron Howard coming in there, trying to fix things up. I don't know what to think about that. I think of Ron Howard being a workman director who usually delivers mediocre, okay, sometimes occasionally good <laughs> movies. I kind of forget that Solo is happening. I'm more curious to know what episode nine will be. Do we know anything else that's coming? Is there a Boba Fett? Is there a Jabba movie? I heard something about a Boba Fett movie. There's been a lot of talk. My suspicion, although not confirmed by any means, is that he'll be in the Solo movie. I mean, it just... Mm, yeah. It, those two have a history. Of course. There's TV shows coming, right? Well, that's the other thing, is it looks like what we've got is we've got the Solo movie in May. Yeah. We've got episode nine at an unspecified time, but it previously was going to be December 19. Now, I'm not sure with the changes. They'll probably stick to that date. I know they wanted to move Star Wars to May. I think it's silly that they're releasing even Solo right so hot on the heels of Avengers. Disney's competing against itself there. But we've got that. We know Ryan Johnson is working on a new trilogy, and that's all we know. We know that people are being talked to about other individual movies. And then after episode nine, 
Disney is going to be launching a television network that they have said Star Wars television shows, live action television shows will premiere on. You know, I just think back to some of the television shows they were going to do. It was going to be like in the trenches with the stormtroopers and the X-Wing pilots during the rebellion. It sounds like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to me. You know, the people <laughs> just off screen, not interesting enough for a story in the movie. Mm-hmm. This kind of felt like a TV episode, honestly. This plot did. Yeah. It's interesting to see where it will go, especially since Always in Motion Future is based upon reaction to anything and everything. It can always change. Right. They're going to see what the shakedown is. How much money does this finally make? It's opening huge, record-breaking, but will that keep pace once people have seen it? Will they have repeat customers? Will people buy it on home viewing systems? Will they buy the toys? That's going to be ultimately the determinant on who stays in power and who leads the way. So Arnie, you said this was your Christmas present. My Christmas present is coming next week. We're getting away from the big, shiny Disney blockbusters. Let's get into a gritty, independent film. The Room. Oh my god, I I knew the poster long before I knew the movie. I have now finally seen it, but I was a virgin to this whole, what's been called the Rocky Horror of the 21st Century, and I do think it is. But if you don't know what The Room is, look it up. It's not the Oscar winner of a few years ago about the girl and her son locked in a room. It is a really crazy indie that, yeah, has become a cult following, and now recently had a movie made about it. We have James Franco's Disaster artist explaining how a movie so bad could exist. Yeah, because the story of how it's made is just as crazy as the actual film. So I guess that's our next series. The day after (laughs) Christmas, we are doing The Room, and then our first film in 2018 is going to be Disaster Artist. It's been out in limited release for the past couple weeks, but I think it's about to open much wider because it's getting award season buzz and could get a Golden Globe, it could get an Oscar nomination. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Two movies I've never seen. So I don't know how much I'm looking forward to The Room. We always have an interesting (laughs) time when somebody says it's so bad it's good if the others actually agree with that. Mm -hmm. We definitely had some brown arrow fights. I don't know if that'll be the case, Arnie. I'm hearing nothing but good for Disaster Artist, so we'll see. Meanwhile, some other movies that probably are in Brown Arrow territory. The end of the Hellraiser saga is also going to take us out through the 2017. Oh, well, won't it ever end? Please, stop. (laughs) We got to go to Hellworld, and then we have to have some revelations. Yeah, there's two more. Although, the star of Hellraiser Judgment did post to Twitter this week. IMDb has been updated. Hellraiser Judgment will be released in select theaters next year. Don't put a lump of coal in my stocking. Don't tell me that right before Christmas. I don't want to have to think about another Hellraiser film to see. If you haven't donated to our fall donation drive yet, A, keep in mind that this is what keeps us on the air, keeps us able to review so many weekend of release movies like The Last Jedi, but also... You'll get to hear reviews of good films, too. I mean, yes, what you have to look forward to if you've already donated are maybe lumps of coal, but, you know, coal can spark a fire that can keep you warm. Yeah, I do feel like there's variants in the Hellraiser sequels. They're all interesting and unique in their own special snowflake way. But (laughs) we also reviewed the early ones, so 
Clive Barker's original, and it really became kind of an overview of Clive Barker's entire filmography, since we're never going to review some of those pieces of shit. Mm. So there's a lot in there, plus Phantasm reviews, and starting early next year, Jeepers Creepers is going to finish it off, plus we have the playing level with Child's Play. We know it's the holidays, we know funds are tight, but if you're able to support our show this holiday season, we'd greatly appreciate it, including our DVD-ROM set, the 10th anniversary set, where you could hear a video showing how this review went from us seeing it in the theater all the way to when it gets posted on the site, recording, unedited version of this. Yeah, all the background details, taking notes, looking at our equipment, all those kind of things that some of you want to know about. Yeah, it'll all be in this video. We got asked it a lot, and I think that it'll be interesting for a certain group of people who really want to know how it's made. And we also had a really fun roundtable. The only time all Now Playing hosts, all seven of us, have been on the line at the same time. That was a great conversation. Yeah, that's on this set as well. Such content to show you. <laughs> You can find out all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Click the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com, what have you. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. The podcast will be with you always. Listening to this episode of the now playing Star Wars retrospective series. May the force be with you. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Let the past die. If you like Star Wars, join Arnie and Marjorie at SWActionNews.com for Star Wars Action News, a podcast dedicated to Star Wars toys, books, games, and more. Kylo I won't. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Powerful light, powerful darkness. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews, including every film in the Star Trek, Terminator, 2001, Back to the Future, Batman, and James Bond film series. You've seen this place. Only in dreams. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can share your opinions of these films with the hosts and other listeners. You must have a thousand questions. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. I need someone to show me my place in all this. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. I'm from the Resistance. Leia sent me. We need your help. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I need help. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I won't let them win! You can show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, 
coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. A link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Darkness rises and light to meet it. Now playing is edited by Arnie. Let's finish this. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Hey, watch the language. Now Playing is not affiliated with Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox, or Disney. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Lucasfilm Limited, and no infringement is intended. That's the only way to become what we're meant to be. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I only know one truth. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's time for the Jedi to end. on the planet Achu. Is that how you actually say it? <laughs> I got the Kleenex at the ready. <laughs> it's either Achu or Aktu. I thought it was Aktu, but maybe it's Achu. We'll go Aktu. <laughs> go to the Last Resistance base, where General Leia, played by Princess Leia, is trying to evacuate the... And General Leia... And General, General Leia, played by Princess Leia? <laughs> That's what I have in my notes. <laughs> Uh, we want to see the women in Starwell, and the, we want to see the women in Starwell. <laughs> we want to see the women in Star Wars do well. Ben Skywalker, as he was known as then, and it said Snow Ben Solo. You mean? Oh yeah, or Ben Solo, as it was known then. Did I say Ben? I think I said Ben Skywalker in my plot summary. Oh, I, I didn't did. catch that. Okay, <laughs> so let me do this. And reveals he was part of the reason why Ben Solo turned into Kylo Ren. Was it Hastian? I thought it was Haitian. I'm like, that's a little interesting. <laughs> Maybe just hash. Yeah, they're getting high off of it.